see if my... Hey, Jen. How you doing? Okay. All the greetings. Good. Hey, okay. Evan. How are you? Okay. We've started. We've started, everyone. Oh, <laughs> We're going to go official now, all right? Yes. All right. Good evening, everyone, and welcome to the City of Alameda City Council meeting. Tonight is Tuesday, November 21, 2023, and uh, we are about to go into... Um, closed session, but first we're going to start with the roll call. If I could ask uh, City Clerk Lara Weisiger to please call the roll. Uh, Vice Mayor Desai? Here. Councilmember Herrera Spencer? Present. Uh, Mayor Ezzie Ashcraft? Here. To be present. And um, Councilmember Jensen will be here momentarily, and um, Councilmember Vela is joining us remotely and is running a few minutes late too, so okay. we'll be okay. here soon. So that's great. So um, we are going to adjourn. Oh, wait, let me back up. We um, first come to public comment, if any, on closed session items. These are just for the closed session. Madam Clerk, do we have any public comment? We do not. All right. So with that, I will close the public comment just on the closed session items. And we're about to adjourn to closed session to consider three matters and madam clerk if you would please tell us what those matters are 3a is commerce with legal counsel existing litigation pursuant to government code section 54956.9a case name is city of alameda versus sheehan court is superior court of the county of alameda case numbers are 22 cv 009959 23cv037442 23cv038384 court in the superior in the court of appeals of the state of california first appellate district division two case number a one six eight three hundred uh, 3B is Conference with Legal Counsel Existing Litigation Pursuant to Government Code Section 54956A9A. The case name is City of Alameda versus Greenway Golf. The court is Alameda County Superior Court. Case number is 22CV011964. 3C is Conference with Labor Negotiators Pursuant to Government Code Section 54957.6. The city negotiators are the city manager, human resources director, outside counsel, and deputy city attorney. Employee and organizations are International Association of Firefighters Local 689. Under negotiation are salaries, employee benefits, and terms of employment. Oh my goodness, she does that so well. Okay, and I will note for the record that um, Councilmember Jensen still hasn't arrived, but we will um, adjourn into closed session now. Just send her back when um, <laughs> when she arrives, and then whoever is counsel on the Sheehan matter, please come back, come on back with us. All right. Okay, council, we'll um, see you in the in room three ninety one, and everybody else, wait for your call. All right. Thank you. All right, if I could ask everyone to have a seat, get comfortable. <laughs> good, e good evening, everyone, and welcome to the City Council meeting for the City of Alameda. Today is Tuesday, November 21, 2023, and I'd like to call this meeting to order. The City Council has just, and I'm going to ask for no more um, conversation in the audience, please, if everyone could take your seat. Um, thank you. So the City Council has just returned from closed session, and I am going to ask our City Clerk, Laura Weisinger, 
to please announce um, the actions, if any, that were taken in closed session. Um, Madam Clerk. Yes, regarding uh, item 3A, which was litigation regarding the City of Alameda versus Sheehan, staff provided information and council provided direction um, by a vote of four to one with Councilmember Harris Spencer voting no. Uh, regarding uh, 3B, which was litigation with the City of Alameda versus Greenway, um, staff provided information and council provided direction uh, by five eyes. And regarding 3C, which was labor negotiations, um, staff provided information and council provided direction uh, by 3-2 uh, vote with uh, council members uh, Daysog and Herrera Spencer abstaining. Thank you, Madam Clerk. And so with that, I will um, close the, I will um, adjourn the special meeting of the closed session and I will call to order the special joint meeting of the City Council and the successor agency to the Community Improvement Commission. Um, Vice, we're going to start with the um, Pledge of Allegiance. And Vice Mayor Desog, may I ask you to lead the pledge? Sure. All right. Please rise as you are able. Ready, begin. I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands, one nation under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. Thank you. Thank you, Vice Mayor Daysock. And um, Madam Clerk, may we have a roll call? And do we need um, our missing colleague up on screen? Uh, if she, Yes, she's not here yet. On okay. <laughs> so I'm not sure. Okay, it's not I a technical difficulty, text. hopefully. <laughs> okay. Okay, so roll call, if you would, please. Vice Mayor Daysock? Here. Uh, Council members for Spencer? Present. Jensen? Here. Mayor Izzy Ashcraft? Here. Four present, and hopefully um, Councilmember Vella will be joining us shortly remotely. All right, thank you. And so we have one item on the consent calendar, and again, this is just the um, meeting of the uh, special joint meeting of the City Council and the successor agency. We used to be known as the Redevelopment Agency back in the day. And so we have one item um, on the consent calendar. And Madam Clerk, would you introduce that item and then we'll take a vote, and the, unless there are any public speakers on this one item. There, there are no speakers on that item, and it's a um, recommendation to accept the tra investment transaction report. All right, do I have a motion? Move approval. Do I have a second? Second. Se no. Okay, on, on the left side of the dais, um, the motion has been moved by Councilmember Jensen, seconded by Vice Mayor Daysog. Because we have one member who is hopefully joining us remotely, we need to take a roll call vote as opposed to a voice vote that we would usually do if we were all in person. So, Madam Clerk, may we have a roll call vote, please? Vice Mayor Daysog. Here, Council I am, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Councilmember Sarah Spencer? Aye. Jensen? Aye. Mayor Ezzy Ashcraft? Hi. That carries my four eyes. <laughs> Sorry, that can be tricky, huh? Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Okay, with that, we adjourn the special city council meeting for the successor agency, and I call to order my third meeting of the evening. It's only 7.09. This is the regular city council meeting. Um, roll call, Madam Clerk. Roll call has been noted for present. Thank you. Um, the next item is agenda changes. Um, I have one request, and Madam Clerk, I think you want to... Um, uh, and share something with us, correct? Yes, um, I just wanted to make sure everybody saw on the agenda that item 5D, as in dog, is withdrawn and will not be heard tonight. Thank you. Okay, and my request, but I will need um, a vote of my colleagues to approve it, is that tonight I'm very excited to announce my two nominees for two um, openings that came up on the planning board unexpectedly. And so 
those two announcements, or the announcements of those two nominees are way at the end of this agenda. I would love to be able to announce those nominees um, tonight, and it's all it is, just announcing their names. So, but I do need a motion from the council to be able to move um, my announcement of these two names up to now. I'll move the agenda change to move 11A to the, uh, the beginning, to Next. three. Okay, thank you. Second? I'm sorry, where, where are you proposing it be moved to? Uh, as soon as I finish the... To, uh, uh, three, 3C. All right, and as, uh, as long as it's just the names, I'm happy to do that. Thanks. Yeah. Okay, thanks. so you're seconding. I'll second, yes. Okay, all right, so we've had a motion and it's been seconded. And um, may we have um, a roll call vote, please, Madam Clerk. <laughs> Vice Mayor Dayseg? Yes. Councilmember Sora Spencer? Aye. Jensen? Aye. Mayor Ashcraft? Aye. That carries by four eyes. Okay, so really quickly, my two appointees, and at our next council meeting on December the 5th is when the full council will vote on these nominees, but they are um, Andy Wang and Sunny Su. And so there they have been um, uh, announced. All right, so back to where we were, which is, um, ah, now we come to oral communication non-agenda items and no excuse me no we don't we come to proclamations oh good proclamations <laughs> yeah. and i have a lovely proclamation for us tonight we don't um we don't read every proclamation into the record but um we do when i think it's something that's of particular significance that, that we agree that it's of significance to the community and community members so um this is a proclamation uh, noting that November is Native American Heritage Month. So here is the proclamation. Whereas November is nationally recognized as Native American Heritage Month, which honors and celebrates the diverse and vibrant cultures, histories, traditions, and contributions of Native and Indigenous people across American Indian, Alaska Native, Native Hawaiian, and American Samoan communities, uplifting the voices of tribes across the nation. And whereas President Joe Biden in his 2023 proclamation on Native American Heritage Month stated, since time immemorial, Native communities have passed down rich cultures, knowledge, traditions, and ways of life. But throughout our history, Native people's cultures, identities, and governments were not always seen as a part of this nation and Native people were pressured to assimilate, banned from practicing their traditions and sacred ceremonies, and forced from their homes and ancestral homelands. This violence and devastation cost countless lives, tore families apart, and caused lasting damage to tribal communities and institutions. Yet despite centuries of violence and oppression, Native peoples remain resilient and proud. Today, Native Americans are essential to the fabric of the, of the United States. They serve in the United States Armed Forces at higher rates than any other ethnic group. They continue to steward so many of our great lands, their contributions to science, humanities, arts, public service, and more have brought prosperity for all of us. Their diverse cultures and communities continue to thrive and lead us forward. And whereas today 380 people living in the city of Alameda identify as Native American and Alaska Native, according to the United States Census Bureau, and these communities 
have made significant contributions to the growth and progress of the city of Alameda through their rich traditions, art, language, environmental stewardship, and more. And whereas the city of Alameda also recognizes California Native American Day celebrated on September 22 and Indigenous Peoples Day celebrated on October 9. And whereas, as President Joe Biden proclaimed, this month as we celebrate Native American history and culture, we are reminded that with hard work and commitment to our founding ideals, we can address the wrongs of our past and become a more perfect union, one that ensures liberty, justice, dignity, and equality for all. Now therefore be it resolved that I, Marilyn Ezzie Ashcraft, Mayor of the City of Alameda, do hereby proclaim November 2023 to be Native American Heritage Month in the City of Alameda and encourage and urge Alamedans to learn more about the tribal land we're living on, where members of the Muwekma Ohlone tribe first lived here more than 3,000 years ago, and to learn more about the Native American people who helped shape our country, state, and community by reading books that are written and or illustrated by Native Americans, many of which you can find at the Alameda Free Library. Thank you. All right, so with that, we then move on to oral communications. And oral communications um, are um, limited to 15 minutes that we take at the top of the agenda for in-person comments only. Um, remote public comments are not available for this section, but any remaining speakers may speak at the end of this agenda, because under item nine, there's another oral communication opportunity. Um, the city clerk needs to <laughs> announce it's a little more complicated because we have a lot of public speakers tonight. So if I could turn the um, floor over to uh, city clerk, Laura Weisinger, to explain how we handle this when we've got so many speakers. So the Sunshine Ordinance requires us to do a random drawing when we have this many speakers. Um, so I will randomly draw out and call as I draw them out. So that, and since there are uh, well above the limit, it will be two minutes each. So that way we'll also get to, to more speakers and then the remainder will be called um, at a later section. Um, so the first speaker is uh, Tracy Reigelman. All right, and so if you were here, come on up. And um, when you come to the microphone, uh, bring it up to whatever height you need. Um, okay. And uh, you have two minutes. Welcome. Thank you. Uh, my name is Tracy Riegelman. I live, work, and play in Alameda, specifically in the Marina Village area. I wanted to bring it to the attention of the council that we are not treating our most fragile homeless with the level of care provided by facilities such as Dignity Health. Eddie's Place, which is located in Marina Village, is a healthcare facility operated by Cardia Healthcare to provide respite care to a very fragile segment of our society, unhoused, that are patients which the Alameda Healthcare System hospitals cannot support. The Marina Village Inn is unable to safely support and provide security to the patients. The facility has no physical access controls and is out of compliance with building codes and standards. The facility is located within 100 feet of the shoreline and within 500 feet of a large youth, uh, popular youth sailing organization with very little security and it's impossible to control patient visitor access to the building. In addition, staffing is not adequate to address the patient's needs. I have three concerns that I'd like to bring to the attention of the council. 
The first one is the facility of the Marina Village Inn. Uh, it provides support today in its current condition to a more fragile uh, segment of our society. I've been told it's uh, very mental uh, psychiatric patients and it's less secure than Dignity Village. There is no uh, control of the physical access. The plumbing is in disrepair. The building is in disrepair with mold and dry rot. You cannot screen things effectively coming into the building. The staffing is not adequate. The uh, uh, patient population served requires psychiatric uh, care. There is none on site. Um, these. Uh, Activities were noted and observed when we did a uh, crime prevention through environmental design walk with Alameda PD last Thursday. Thank you. Your time is up. Our next speaker. Shelby Sheehan. Welcome, Speaker Sheehan. Hi. I actually wanted to speak on the um, closed session calendar, but I can probably do it at the same time. So. Um, Okay, so this is only for items that are not on the agenda, so that would not be anything from the closed session. That um, comment period took place before the meeting. Oh, it's before the meeting you do the closed session? All right, then I'll just make a general comment. So um, one of the things I wanted to uh, comment about is there was no notice that, that non-agenda items had to be in person. I don't know what the procedure was followed. If I don't, the public didn't have any comp, uh, any, um, participation in it and it wasn't held in open session there was no vote so I don't know what the procedure was but it doesn't seem to me like the procedure was followed because when we just changed it before when we changed the order of the commenting and all that that came before council so I think that was wrong it needs to be re revisited I also think it's a way that excludes the public even more and then the second thing I wanted to um, add is just to remind the council that when the city initiates civil litigation, uh, they need to follow certain procedures. And the affirmative litigation should also be in the public interest. And um, the costs are reasonable. And uh, the city has complied with all laws, especially those that are their police enforcement powers, because they have an unfair advantage to bias the court or, or enact things against the public if they have not uh, if they've abused their police powers. Thank you. Thank you. Our next speaker. Uh, Zoe Noor. Welcome, Speaker Noor. And go ahead and bring that microphone down to where you need it. Oh. Can you hear me? We can. Okay. Should I wait or? No, no, we can oh, hear okay. you. Go right ahead. Mayor, City Council members, thank you for taking the time to hear about our concerns tonight. My name is Zoe Noor and I'm an Alameda resident and a mother of three. My family is Jewish and I converted to Islam when I was a teenager. I've experienced both sides of the Israeli apartheid firsthand. When I first went to Israel and Palestine, I hadn't started wearing the hijab yet and was seen as any other Jewish person there. After starting to wear the hijab, I visited again and was seen as an enemy of the state. The two experiences prove with all certainty that this is an apartheid regime. As a Jew, I was able to travel freely throughout the West Bank and Israel. As a Muslim, I didn't make it past the airport where I was interrogated for eight hours. As a Jew, I was treated with kindness and respect by everyone I met. As a Muslim, I was cursed at and strip searched. As a Jew, I was able to stay for free and at very little cost for most of my trip. And as a Muslim, I was forced to stay in a crowded jail cell until I was deported. As a Jew, I was told to visit again and even encouraged to move there someday. And as a Muslim, I was put on a blacklist and exiled. 
Amnesty International, B'Tselem, and Human Rights Watch all recognize Israel as a racist apartheid regime that opposes Palestinians to dehumanize, to dehumanize Palestinians. Decades of policies have paved the path for war crimes, including their terrifying reoccurring massacres on people in Gaza, and the Israeli government calls this mowing the lawn. Cutting off food, water, fuel, and electricity is genocidal. Bombing civilians and attacking hospitals, refugee camps, and schools is genocidal. Mayor, you spoke about genocide, the genocide of the indigenous people and the ethnic cleansing of the indigenous people of this land. And our taxpayer dollars are funding genocide overseas. It is racist. It is anti-human to support this. And if you do not take a stand, you are supporting it. You are condoning all of this massacre. Please do something. The people in Richmond, the city council there, I was there, they stood up against this because they've been to Gaza. Thank please. you. Thank you. Your time is up. Our next speaker. No, please stop. Okay. I didn't do my uh, I didn't do my um, my audience rules beforehand. Um, let me just remind everyone. Um, we listen respectfully to every speaker. We all have a First Amendment right to speak. However, this is a business meeting, and we need to keep it moving. So we don't we don't applaud. We don't boo. We don't jeer because what we want to do is create a welcoming environment for anyone to speak. And some people will be intimidated and won't stand up to speak if they think that their point of view might be um, might be um, uh, badly received. So please just listen respectfully. You have a right to hold your signs too. I would just ask that you don't hold them up above your head because unless you're in that last row, you are blocking someone's view behind you, and everybody wants to be able to see the proceedings. So with that reminder, um, um, Alameda audiences are always incredibly respectful, and I'm grateful for that. So let's move on to our next speaker, Madam Clerk. Gene uh, Nader. Welcome, Speaker Nader. Good evening. My name is Jean Nader. I have lived in Alameda for nearly 30 years. I've raised my kids here. And I am part of a new community group called Alameda Family and Friends for Ceasefire. I'm joining with my fellow Alamedans in a call for ceasefire, permanent ceasefire in Gaza and the West Bank, and I'm part of this collective voice because as a mom, I'm devastated by the violence against children. As an Arab American, I'm disheartened at how Palestinians are dehumanized. And lastly, I don't want my tax dollars being spent to kill people and destroy Gaza. As Alameda is a sanctuary city and a place that proclaims everyone belongs here, we should be a leading voice in global peacemaking and local inclusion and equity for all. We plan to hold a vigil to call for a ceasefire, join for justice, and plan for peace on this Sunday, November 28th, from 4.30 to 6 on the steps of City Hall. And we invite you as city council members and the viewing public to join us in unity and in this voice and vision. Thank you. Thank you. Our next speaker. Uh, Marilyn Allen. Welcome, Speaker Allman. Owen. Allman. Come on up to the microphone and make it your height. Welcome, Speaker Alwan. Okay. Let me just first find the speech. Okay. <laughs> okay. My name is Mar uh, Good evening, Mayor and City Council members. My name is Marilyn Alwan, and I have been a resident of Alameda for five years. I um, lived in. Um, Speaker Alwan, if you would speak into the microphone, we can all hear you. Okay. Should I start over? Yeah, can it's you, good. Can you hear me now? We can hear you. Okay. Thank you. My name is Marilyn Alwan. 
I have been a resident of Alameda for five years. I lived in the Middle East for two years. I am part of the Alameda Family and Friends ceasefire. I am joining with other Alamedans in a call for a ceasefire in Gaza and in the West Bank. I am wearing a button that I have had for many, many years. It says, war is not healthy for children and other living things. Over 13,000 civilians in Gaza, over 5,000 children have been murdered in the last six weeks. Thousands more are now homeless and trying to survive without medical aid, clean water, food, or fuel. I grieve that my hope for retiring this button was not possible. Tonight I am wearing also a keffiyeh in honor of the people of Palestine. There have been many, too many wars in Palestine and Gaza. It is clear that military action does not work. We have seen it over and over again. I believe that our tax dollars can be put to better use, and so I support the end of military aid for Israel. I call for a ceasefire in Gaza now, not a pause. A ceasefire now, not for days. A ceasefire now, forever, period. A permanent ceasefire so that the long overdue political peace process can begin to end the occupation and bring peace and justice to the people of both Israel and Palestine. Thank you. Thank you. Um, and if I could ask people to silence their cell phones, or what exactly is that? <laughs> please. Our next speaker, ma'am. Laura Thomas. Welcome, Speaker Thomas. Good evening, Council. Nice to see you. My name is Laura Thomas. I've lived in Alameda since 1983. And I'm part of the same group, Alamedans, Families and Friends for Ceasefire. I'm joining other Alamedans in this call for a ceasefire in Gaza and the West Bank, and I'm part of this collective voice. When I was a child, my father had studied Arabic at the Army Language School in Monterey, and he told me, Arabs and Jews are the same people. They are all Semites, he said. And I've never forgotten that. Coincidentally, my daughter also studied Arabic in college, became an Arabic linguist, and runs a language program in Jordan, and is married to an Egyptian. And his family is shattered by the bombing in Gaza, as am I. There are Semites living in our town, Arabs and Jews. They are also our fellow Alamedans, and we must care for them all to be that beloved community that we envision. And the first steps are demanding a ceasefire and then possibly the end of U.S. funding for this hellish war against innocent people. That's our responsibility. Thank you, Council. Thank you. Our next speaker. Emily Lynn. Welcome, Speaker Lynn. Maybe Speaker Lynn and Speaker Milo, maybe. Okay. This is Milo Chen, who's my son, and he's a little bit nervous, so we were deciding whether he would go, but he has his written comments in front of me. Would you like me to do them? Okay. Hi, I'm Milo, and I'm in fourth grade. As a child, I have been thinking about all the children the same age as me suffering in Palestine, bombs being dropped all around them, 
and gunfire raining down constantly. I can't believe that 5,000 children in Gaza and 215 in the West Bank have already been killed. I feel hopeless and scared. Since you are the leaders of our city, I think that people will listen to you more than regular adults. So please, bring your voices and leadership to a call for a full and lasting ceasefire. Thank you. And I just want to add that as Milo's mom, um, as well as a 23-year resident here in Alameda, I too have joined with the Alamedans for uh, families and friends for ceasefire. I do so out of a conviction of faith as a United Methodist clergy person, as a mom, not just to my children, but with the care of other children, and as someone who has spent formative time in my own life in the Gaza Strip prior to coming to Alameda. Last Wednesday, I received word that my host father in Gaza was killed. His name was Frej Tarazi, and I think it's important to say his name. The horror and grief of these last 46 days drew even closer to home. It's impossible to continue with life as usual when so many are being indiscriminately killed. And so I add my appreciation to our mottos of the city, where everyone belongs and there is no place for hate. I know as a pastor that this takes hard work. Thank you. Um, thank you for your comments. Our next speaker. Um, is our final speaker. And no, no, you're doing really well. Don't, don't <laughs> applaud now. You're doing really well, audience. Okay, our next speaker is. Uh, Gabriel Duncan. That's our last Welcome, one. Speaker Duncan. Okay, and then as the city clerk was saying, so that is the end of our 15 minutes that we have, but the other comments, we'll keep them in the hopper and um, hopefully this meeting moves along and it won't be too late before we get to item nine. Welcome, Speaker Duncan. Thank you. Uh, my name is Gabriel Duncan. I'm uh, here as part of the Alameda Native History Project. This, um, <laughs> I didn't expect to be so overcome with the motion in front of you, um, but Life is precious. You know, being a Native American person who is a descendant of the survivors of the missions um, and the American attempts of genocide all over the nation and in California, hearing about the thousands of people, including children, who are being wiped off the face of this earth is just too much to bear with us being so silent. And a lot of people are stepping up now, and that's good, but we just need to be brave together and to stand against this type of behavior and this type of action, this type of genocide, and calling for a ceasefire is one of the ways that you can do it to help show people that human life matters no matter where it is and no matter who it is. And that's the most important thing that I want to say. Uh, so thank you. Thank you. All right. And with that, no, 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 no. You're doing really well. Don't, don't applaud now. Um, I, I'm proud of you. I applaud you silently. All right. We, so we come to the end of our oral communication. And we will move on to item five, which is the consent calendar. And the consent calendar is... Um, um, these are routine items that will be approved by one motion unless council members um, remove an item for a full discussion. Removed items will be heard after the regular agenda items. 
um, and routine items, well, okay, you can read in the, the, um, in the uh, agenda what they are. So at this time, um, are there any items that any member of the city council wants to pull from the consent calendar? 5C. Council member uh, Jensen wants to pull 5C. I'm sorry, oh, what did I say? Jensen. Oh, gosh. Um, uh, Councilmember Herrera Spencer wants, sorry, um, wants to pull pull 5C. Any other pulls from the council? Okay, hearing none. So then we'll move 5C. And that wasn't just for a brief clarifying question. You want to pull it, so we'll hear it at the end of the. Correct. Okay. We'll and hear it. Did you already clarify the p the public speakers that didn't get an opportunity? We get to them number nine. Yes, ma'am. Okay. I did. I did. Yeah. Um, okay. So then. Um, Okay, and um, Madam Clerk, do we um, do we have any public comment on the uh, consent calendar? Um, maybe might I, we're gonna ask because they didn't put their item number, but we just wanna make sure the speaker okay. was on either 5A, B, or E at okay. this point. All right. Because D has been withdrawn and C has been pulled. Right, so what that leaves is... Um, five, yeah, so if the speaker wanted to speak on 5C, we just don't wanna call him. All right. Sorry, they didn't put their item number. That's okay. All right, so um, does the council have any questions about the remaining items on the consent calendar? Okay. Oh, it's just the consent calendar in general, not a specific item. Uh, okay. Okay. Topic. <laughs> okay. Uh, yes, all right. Um, so that, this is our public comment on the consent calendar. Uh, uh, Todd Hickman? Okay, welcome Speaker Hickman. Oh, do we need to do our Zoom update um, uh, PSA, Madam Clerk? Oh, he is in person, okay. <laughs> we don't need a Zoom update. <laughs> All right, welcome Speaker Hickman. Thank you. So tonight I'd like to talk about the process, the process of the consent calendar. I think tonight that was a much more reasonable consent calendar. Um, I think it was things that are more related to consent items, vice agenda items, as we've seen. Um, again, I think we're only going on the last two years. We've only had two unanimous passings of the consent calendar um, because the council and or staff continues to jam things on the consent calendar. Some would say hide things on the consent calendar, um, but you could say um, overburden the consent calendar, hide things on the consent calendar, things that really should have been agenda items. So we do see improvement on that. We don't see complete improvement because tonight we had um, one item withdrawn and that was a very good move because um, that was an exorbitant amount for a roof So that was fundamentally wrong if you would not have pulled that item um, Then it would have been the first question I would have to ask is who's getting a kickback on that It should have been ten dollars a square foot for commercial roofing in the Bay Area and that's sixty dollars a square foot So who has relatives in Ohio here? Anyone? Anyone relatives in Ohio, so that was very scandalous. I'm glad that got pulled and um, I appreciate council member Spencer Herrera um, pulling the other item as well because in these difficult budget times I just can't see spending money on 
um, a climate plan when it moves at a glacial pace anyway. So the city is in dire straits about to try and impose more tax measures, more bonds, more expense to the public, more expense to the citizens, more expense to citizens and business. Um, so it makes no sense to continue to increase costs. Um, the process, I'm, I'm very appalled at the process tonight in relation to the um, non-agenda items. I know I'm not supposed to speak on that right now, um, but who changed that? Who, who changed that process where people from home cannot no longer speak on that? And that makes no sense at all. That was out of the blue, and now here we are. I'm wondering who pulled that. So violations of process, they have been rampant at these council meetings um, through the consent calendar. It's been rampant. Um, basically everywhere on the agenda, there's rampant process violations and process is everything, particularly with the consent calendar, because the consent calendar in general does not get the scrutiny of agenda items. And the consent calendar, um, again, is just passed all at once. It, it's good that they did this new process where council members can now pull things off and put them at the back um, of the agenda. That's an improvement, but overall, we still have a huge gaping um, problem with process in the city of Alameda, and without process, we have nothing. I know we have all these huge worldwide issues, but everything starts with the process right here, right now. Process, please. Thank you. Our next speaker? Uh, Shelby Sheehan. Welcome, Speaker Sheehan. Hi, I'm just going to be brief. Um, I, uh, Mr. Hickman kind of covered what I was going to say. Um, I do appreciate, I, I believe that the council responded to um, a public comment that they've gotten regarding the roof, and I think it was appropriate to um, withdraw it from the calendar completely. And um, so I appreciate that. And, and so the rest of it, I just basically echo what he said. Thank you. Our next speaker. That was our last. With that, we'll close public comment on the consent calendar. And um, do I have a motion to approve the balance of the consent calendar? Moved by Council Member Jensen, seconded by? I'll second. Council Member Herrera Spencer. All those in favor, and we'll need to do a, I know, I was oh, gonna okay. do that. <laughs> Not my first rodeo. Uh, May you, we have a roll call vote, please, <laughs> Madam Clerk. Uh, Vice Mayor Desai? Yes. Council Member Torres Spencer? Aye. Jensen? Aye. Uh, Bella? Aye. Mayor Ezzy Ashcraft? Aye. That carries by five eyes. Thank you. All right, you. so with that, we move to our next item, which is, and Madam Clerk, will you remind us at the end of the regular calendar to pick up the yes. uh, consent calendar yes. that was item that was um, pulled? And so now we move to item six, and item six is for um, agenda items that didn't get heard at the last, uh, they were regular agenda items at the last council meeting. We didn't get to them because we ran out of time, so we put them first on the agenda to be heard. So, um, Madam Clerk, would you please introduce our first item under um, continued agenda items? Yes. Um, final passage of ordinance amending Article 15 of the Alameda Municipal Code, amending and enhancing the Rent Control Program's Capital Improvement Plan program and terminating the current moratorium on CIP applications and making other necessary updates. These actions are exempt from environmental review because they are not projects as defined under the California Environmental Quality Act, CEQA, CEQA Guidelines Sections 15378B2, or because of no significant environmental impact, CEQA Guidelines Section 15061. All right. Um, thank you. So I'm going to call first on our city attorney, um, Ibn Shen, to introduce this item or tell us how we're going to proceed. Uh, 
Thank you, Madam Mayor. This item is actually was a consent calendar item that was we, not reached right. from the last council agenda. This Sorry. is final I passage. The presentation was made at first reading, and this is second and final passage. Um, we welcome council questions. Rent Program Director Bill Chapin is here with me. Uh, both of us are here to and ready to answer your questions if you have any. Okay, council, do we have questions on this item? And then, of course, we're going to have public comment, right? Yes. Yes. So, any clarifying questions on the staff report that was provided at a previous council meeting? No. Okay. Madam, I uh, want to clarify. Yes. So I participated in the last meeting on this issue via Zoom, and I just wanted to clarify uh, what the ultimate, what the decision was in regards to the tiers. The final vote. The final vote. Okay. Can someone clarify that, Mr. Uh, Shen? I'm I'm happy to do so. Uh, Mr. Chapin can correct me if I'm wrong. Uh, the council uh, chose to modify option A from the staff recommendation to allow for a hundred percent CIP recovery for properties that are two units to four units. All other units would not be eligible for CIP. Uh, of course, all units, uh, regardless size, uh, could apply for a um, fair return petition under the United States Constitution. Thank you. All right, any other clarifying questions? Um, public comment. Madam Clerk, do we have public comment? Uh, we do. Um, we have two in person and one remote, so they can get three minutes um, at that time. Uh, first is Garfield Kingcross, and then in Karen Miller. All right, and there's Speaker Kingcross. Come on up, and you know the drill about the microphone, right? Welcome, Speaker Kingcross. Hello, good evening, council members and uh, mayor. Uh, my name is Garfield Kincross, and uh, I have uh, uh, still some issues about this uh, uh, unfair type of uh, action that's, that's been taken. Uh, for placing the cost of property that we have no equity in on our backs uh, to pay for property that we don't own when the city is supposed to sponsor the landlords and enforce building code, number one. Uh, the city has also not answered my inquiry into my most current rent increase, which came shortly after this uh, CIP was agreed upon. I wasn't expecting that uh, vote to tip in favor of it. Uh, very disappointed, I don't see any renters here uh, voicing any opinion. I can't speak for them, but when I called the number, because, you know, I've been charged for a rent increase uh, when, measure, when our measure for rent control was enacted, there had already been a rent uh, ordinance proposed and propagandized by the California Apartment Association. 
that was voted on for three years and that leveled an increase of 5% on on the tenants uh, in Alameda and where I lived. Now I noticed that there's some inconsistencies with what they're allowed to get, uh, to take from me on this rent increase is substantially less than what I've been, what has been imposed on me over the last uh, several years. Uh, I think three years with rent control. I was unable to contact anybody. Nobody has called me back. I understand there's a deadline for a submission of this complaint. I have not received any any uh, uh, comment or, or feedback from the Office of the Rent Board, and I'd like to level a complaint against uh, CIP and the Rent Board. Thank you, Mr. Kincross. And I would also note that we have, uh, Mr. Kincross, we have in the audience Mr. Chapin from the Rent Program, and he's um, uh, ready to um, get some information from you. Thank you. Our next speaker, Madam Clerk. Karen Miller. All right, welcome. Good evening, Council. My name is Karen Miller, and I've been involved with Alameda Rentals for over 20 years and served as the Rent Advisory Committee Chair for 13 years. I am concerned that you did not keep the second tier of the 5 to 15 category recommended by staff. There are many Victorians that were converted to units that are in this category. Insurance standards are getting tougher and no longer will insure a property that has knob and tube, wiring, or galvanized pipes as part of the plumbing system. This applies to both to new policies and existing ones. Many of the older buildings have both these conditions. Changing out these systems is extremely expensive and I can imagine that a mom and pop owner will have, not have the means to do this and will sell to an outside investor. <clears throat> in my experience chairing the RAC, I found that the out-of-towners and the large corporations do not care about their tenants as this is just a business for them. On the other hand, the mom and pop providers know their tenants personally and have a relationship with them. One of mine brings me homemade fudge every Christmas. Mention has been made that owners can just refinance their improvements. This is not always the case as there are still rents where the units where the rents have remained low and the amount of money these large improvements may require will not qualify for re refinancing. Anyone who has bought or refinanced in the last few years at the low rates may not even qualify with a rate of 8%, which is where rates are now for non-owner-occupied buildings. I looked at a $1.2 million property financed at 4.5% as an example, and the payment would increase $24.54 per month with an addition of $60,000 for improvements. If you're truly interested in keeping the local mom and pops here in Alameda and keeping outside out the outside investors, I would hope you consider adding the second tier of properties to the CIP. Thank you. Thank you. Our next speaker? Um, our next to our remote, uh, Tony Grimm. Welcome, Speaker Grimm. Can you hear me? We sure can. Hi. Can you hear me? Yes, we can. Can you hear me? Uh, the question might be, can you hear us? Um, yes, is, I can. Okay, great. Here, then, um, welcome. Okay, I'm asking the council to not have a CIP pass through, no matter the size of the building. There was no evidence to show that dividing up our housing stock into categories by size will result in a fair system. No evidence to show that landlords of a four unit building need more help than landlords of, for example, a 12 unit building. The rent program is just guessing when they say so, so they use the words more likely. I think it is a lazy way to legislate to just copy what other cities are doing without looking at the results of their policies. 
Where is the evidence that cities with a tiered pass-through have benefited from a, by having a substantial increase in the quality of their housing? How many tenants in those cities have been evicted because of a CIP? Has eviction rate varied by the tiers? You don't know. What I do know is that no other business in Alameda enjoys an automatic subsidy for their large expenses. All business owners should be responsible for maintaining their own properties. Why should landlords who have ignored building and safety codes and disability access be rewarded for their neglect by having tenants split the bill? I'm afraid you will be creating a greater divide between the haves and the have-nots in our city, as some tenants will be looking at an 8% rent increase year after year, some for 20 years or more, which will not be sustainable. Is this a way to cleanse our city of lower income and working class residents? Why should tenants be forced to contribute to another person's investment without getting any equity in exchange? They will never be able to afford their own, to buy their own houses if they have to pay up to improve other people's properties in addition to rent. Please vote no CIP in addition to rent increases. Thank you. Thank you. Our next speaker. Uh, Tamika Bowman. Welcome, Speaker Bowman. Hi. Um, I just wanted to chime in. I've been following the CIP for a long time now. Um, I'm out at South Shore, um, and I want to say thank you for actually um, making it so buildings my size won't be have to go through the pain and, and fear and all of that that we did the past year. Um, I also ask that you do the same for all size units, all buildings of all size in Alameda, because it doesn't make a difference for the renter, right? A, a huge rent increase is a huge rent increase, and that's going to make it so that I can't, and people like me can't continue to live in peace or live in Alameda. We are paying exorbitant amount of rents, amount in rents already. This is one of the most high costing regions in the country. And I don't think that incentivizing um, landlords by allowing them to have us pay even more is going to be actually helpful for what we're looking for. Um, I think the lack of usage of the, the fair return is already um, the, shows that landlords aren't don't need this. Uh, since it's been there, there's been very few people who have been going for it. The only um, research that was done is kind of like what other cities are doing. And like the speaker before me said, not any information on how it's actually helped to do what, what we're looking to do. I don't think it will. Um, I think when we talk about, you know, what could happen if there's no CIP, I don't think that that's where it's gonna be worse for renters. I think it's gonna be a lot better for renters to not have this over our heads. Um, and I hope that we have your continued support and hopefully if not this time in the future, we have no CIP for all of Alameda and no Alameda and renters have to worry about this kind of thing in the future. Thank you. Thank you. Our next speaker, Madam Clerk. And that was our last speaker. Okay, with that we will close public comment on item 6A, and um, I'll entertain um, discussion or a motion to approve final passage of this ordinance. Um, I actually pulled this item because I have concerns regarding the equity of the ordinance as written, and I appreciate the opportunity to have the item come back to council so that certain additional items can be 
issues can be addressed. And therefore, I will move that the original agenda item come back to the council. Um, I'll second that. So I'm not understanding. You want it to come back for what reason? And maybe City Attorney Shen, can you help us out here? Council member, if I understand your motion correctly, you, uh, I'm assuming you're indicating that you're voting no on second reading and directing staff to re-agendize the first reading? Yes, thank you for clarifying. May I ask why? I have concerns regarding the equity of the ordinances written and I appreciate the opportunity to have the item come back to council so that certain additional issues can be addressed. And that would be equity regarding whom? I think it'd be better to discuss it, the issues when the item comes back if the, my motion passes. Um, that motion is so vague that I wouldn't be able to support it because I don't really understand what it's talking about. But thank you for your comments. Um, Councilmember Harris Spencer. So I'm happy to second that, the uh, amended motion, if I'm going to, I'll call it that. Uh, I actually think that that meeting was hard for me. Um, I was participating via Zoom and I apologize for that. Uh, I was uh, out, of the, out of the state uh, and um, sometimes I did have a hard time hearing and understanding what was being said. But I do think that this is a very important issue and I do uh, respect the council member's request to have further discussion on it. In fact, that's actually I think one of uh, the principles that I appreciate is uh, uh, in furtherance of democracy. We had a, you know, a lot of public comments on issues that are important to people earlier, and I think uh, this uh, is in that same vein of uh, supporting uh, public discussion. And I'm all for democracy and public discussion, but there is absolutely no direction to staff to what you're looking for in bringing the motion back. I'm looking to have the original agenda item returned for discussion. The agenda item that was, that we are voting on uh, an amended ordinance in this second reading and I'm not supporting the amended ordinance and I would like to have the original agenda report and ordinance returned for discussion. Um, I, and I'll, I'll come to you, City Attorney, but I, I see my colleague, Councilmember Vella, has her hand up. Go ahead and unmute, Councilmember. So I'm trying to follow. Is the motion on the table because I'd like to understand what's actually going to get agendized and if the council member um, is changing their position uh, because uh, is changing their position on this item, I'd like to know what would be discussed if it's the original proposal, which to clarify would mean that um, we would go back to uh, the, the city staff recommendation or is it to consider something else? I'm trying to understand what's meant by equity. Councilmember Jensen. Thank you, Councilmember Ravella. I appreciate your comments and your question. What I would like to have would be to have the original, as you mentioned, the original item, the original, original proposal come back for discussion. It may be that the outcome would be similar or it may be different, but I'm not comfortable with this proposal, with this ordinance and the amended ordinance, which I did 
perfectly, um, I did support and I did vote for, but as happens, and has happened on this council actually, before I joined, council has an opportunity during the second reading to um, seek more information. I've had an opportunity to talk to community members, talk to staff, and so I am making this motion to have the original agenda report come back for further discussion and information. If I recall correctly, you, um, you seconded the motion, the amended motion at the last meeting. I believe Council Member Vela made the motion you seconded. Is that correct? The, 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 count, the city clerk. Yeah, I'm sure you're right. Since you don't make motions or second, it must have been me since oh, it was once three in a while, two. I do. Um, Councilmember Vell still has her hand up and still has the floor. Go right ahead, Councilmember. And if I could, uh, uh, through the chair, question through the chair uh, to the maker of the motion. Um, just because we've had a number of public speakers, some are asking for absolutely no CIP, um, no pass-through. Some are asking for uh, staff recommendations, some are asking for uh, things kind of moving um, in the other direction. It, just to clarify what would be on, you know, being uh, discussed in the in the next meeting. Is it is is no CIP up for consideration or is it only staff recommendation or this other um, proposal from uh, th that we're hearing from some of the uh, uh, for lack of better term, mom and pop folks. Um, as I recall, when, during discussion of the last motion, the recommendation did not include just 100% um, for two to four units and no CIP for any other units. And so, as I recall, that came that revised ordinance came from um, not from the staff report, but from discussion and research and um, further information. And so. What I'm suggesting is that we have the original staff report return, the original ordinance be discussed, and it may be that there would be some changes to it. I, I, I guess what I'm trying to understand is because we're hearing from different groups and there's there seems to be the two vo voices out there, I, there were a number of alternatives in the original uh, proposal is the request that we consider all of the alternatives, including uh, a no CIP pass-through, or is the proposal to discuss some version of a CIP pass-through based off of different factors? My suggestion is that the original staff report return and that the discussion move from there from the recommendation of staff to have the tiered the tiered CIP to um, whatever might be the outcome of that. And um, as I recall also, the two to four unit 100% was not, uh, only having two to four units be subject to CIP, as I recall, was not part of the recommendation or community input at all. So that, um, as you point out, Councilmember Vella, that came from the discussion at our last, or at our meeting when this ordinance was passed. So. It may be that when the agenda report returns and there's further discussion, there may be other alternatives that, that are um, supported. Councilmember Rivella. So my question for the city attorney then is, what happens in the interim? Uh, because my understanding was that we had a moratorium in place for certain things. Uh, so just curious what that does. 
City Attorney Shen. Council Member, happy to answer that question. That moratorium remains in place. Um, that moratorium would only be lifted if the council actually adopted a new um, CIP program. If the council chose not to adopt it tonight, uh, then we operate under existing rules, which means uh, CIP is available for anything under 25 uh, units uh, at 100%. Uh, anything over, 100, uh, over 25 units will be subject to the council's moratorium that was adopted in the spring, um, subject to uh, the council adopting anything different at a future meeting. Got it. And so for, for folks that are concerned about and calling in saying that they have concerns about CIP pass-throughs and the impact to tenants, this would mean that if you are a tenant um, in a multi-unit uh, building with uh, anything from two to 24 units, um, you would be subject. I just want to make sure that the members of the public understand what's happening with the vote tonight and how it impacts them. Mr. Shen. Council member, under existing CIP rules, um, uh, any anything between two and 25 uh, are, do qualify for CIP. And through the chair, to be clear, that's not a change from what exists today. Right. Thank you. All right. Okay, all for you, Council member Vela. Okay, Council member Harris Spencer, did you have your hand up? I did, and I appreciate the clarification from uh, Member Vela raising that. I think that is important for everyone to understand what the ask is and the impact. Um, uh, but I, I do support uh, it coming back because I also, um, Council Member uh, Jensen is our newest council member, and rent control and the, all these issues have been in front of council since at least 2014, if not before. And many people that speak have been um, passionately involved in this issue all these years. And I do think it's uh, appropriate to have more opportunity uh, for, the council, for the council member to hear from the audience and, and also staff. But then um, in regards to does council do this sometimes? Yes, this is not unheard of. For instance, we recently had Grand Street come back after I believe the mayor uh, changed her mind, and she brought it back, and you know, and and that was heard again, and we went through the whole thing again. And in fact, we had a huge uh, public meeting um, uh, over the issue, which is not being proposed. I don't hear that, so I think this would actually be more expeditious uh, than what we experienced when the mayor changed her mind not too long ago. So I think this is totally appropriate. Thank you. And uh, to Councilmember uh, Herrera-Spencer, I'm not going to take up my minutes um, refuting your mischaracterization of what I said. And, and um, the city attorney and city staff have been very clear about what the Grand Street vote did and didn't entail. So it's in the record. Um, so I'm uh, Vice Mayor Desog. Well, thank you very much. Um, just to cut to the chase, um, out of courtesy uh, to um, Councilmember Jensen, I will support the vote. Um, it seems to me um, Councilmember Jensen and perhaps others um, uh, require, you know, have a, additional questions um, for which they're perhaps seeking um, answers. Um, you know, how uh, things um, 
roll out um, the next time we deal with the situation, I, I don't know. But the point, though, is um, you know, out of a courtesy, um, so because of the importance of this, that, that you know, we need to uh, make sure that every council member feels um, comfortable. Um, and, and I say that because, um, you know, this is an ordinance, and the way that our municipal code, maybe our charter, I can't remember, um, the way that it's written is that when ordinances come forward, they're done on two votes. There's the first vote, when we, which we did um, several weeks ago, and then there's the follow-up vote. And um, the whole point of having this kind of a second um, vote um, is not that um, the second vote is an automatic. It's, you know, if there's new information, new questions that members of the public or staff or council members have, you know, the second vote is an opportunity to make sure to raise those and, and, and get them clarified. So it is not just a courtesy um, to uh, Councilmember Jensen and Councilmember Herrera Spencer, but a cur courtesy to the public. Maybe we're missing some things that, that, um, that we had not seen prior. So I will support this um, motion um, and um, leave it at that. So um, I want to just add a few things here. Um, council matters could take a long, long time if we reconsidered and voted on everything when people had second thoughts or maybe heard from members of the community who weren't pleased about the way they voted in the first place. Um, I'll share a couple of personal experiences I've had recently. I had to explain to someone why I wasn't able to attend an event that took place on October 25th. That was the day we held a special meeting for this capital improvement plan. And so I was explaining to this person who happens to be a lawyer what Alameda's community improvement plan is, and she said, wait, what? Tenants are expected to help pay the improvements, the property improvements of the landlords? They don't have any equity in the property. They don't, what are they getting back from it? And to a speaker who noted that some of these property improvements wouldn't qualify for refinancing, well, you know, tenants don't have anything to refinance, but what property owners do have is the equity that builds in their property. So hold that thought. And then I had the privilege last week of attending a webinar. It was presented by the Harvard School of Public Health, and the speaker was Jacinda Ardern, and you may remember her name. She's the former Prime Minister of New Zealand. And the, the um, title of the webinar was Leading with Empathy, and she talked about her time as prime minister and the horrible shooting in the mosques in New Zealand and, and what that taught her about just empathy, having empathy for members of the community. But what she also told us is, and I wrote this down, there is an always an individual that sits behind every policy decision we make as elected leaders. So this policy decision we're talking about now, this CIP that will add to the rental costs of renters in an already overburdened rental market where people are being forced to move out of, of Alameda and sometimes you know losing their apartments, being evicted because they can't pay the rent. There are people behind that. Um, 
some of us attended a very nice Veterans Day dinner at the Elks Club just a week ago, last Saturday, and there was a slide presentation, and I hope you were as moved as I was by the last slide in that presentation. It was a homeless veteran sitting on the sidewalk with a blanket around him holding a sign that said, please help me. There was an editorial about in the San Francisco Chronicle that was said, honor veterans by keeping them housed. And I want you to know, and you, we heard it that night at the um, Elks Club dinner, that we have members of the Coast Guard who live in camp parks in Dublin. They live in Petaluma in the housing there because they can't afford the rents here on the market. These are folks that will be impacted by the decision we make whenever we hear this again. I also learned recently from the Coast Guard that at Coast Guard Base Alameda, we have folks who are called geo-bachelors, and that's a term that means they're stationed here, but they keep their families elsewhere because they just can't afford the cost of the rents. So just hold all those thoughts in mind um, when, when this motion comes back to us, um, because we have, I believe, we have a very serious obligation to, um, to keep people housed. Councilmember Ravel, I see your hand back up. Go ahead. Just wanted to say, I'm not gonna be able to support this motion. This is not a novel item. This is something that we've spent many, many council meetings and many months um, discussing, and it would be helpful. Um, yes, we can bring things back, but it would be helpful to bring things back with clarity in terms of which direction um, the, the, the maker of the motion is, is looking to go. This was a split vote, uh, three to two. Uh, and it likely could go a different way. I just think that in the matter of transparency and also not wasting time, um, it would be helpful to have uh, the presentation uh, very clear in terms of where the questions lie from council if they're, if they're gonna be changing uh, their minds about something and also what limitations uh, of that conversation would be. Um, it, it, we have also on second votes, uh, second readings um, amended uh, at that meeting um, and take it back for a first uh, first reading. Um, and so that would be appropriate. And so that's why I'm, I'm gonna be unable to support this tonight because it would just be helpful, I think, and, and more expeditious seeing as this item's been lingering um, and many people have been in limbo uh, to, to get it agendized so there's clarity uh, and to have it agendized in, a, in such a way that um, it's very clear what the council is gonna be deliberating on rather than uh, kind of going back to square one. So um, I'll leave it there. Thank you, and um, and I'll call on you in just a minute, Councilmember Harris Spencer. But um, could I call on the the city attorney to provide hopefully a little clarity on what next steps are and and what information further information you might need from the council? Sure. Thank you. Thank you very much, Madam Mayor, members of the council. Um, based on what I'm hearing, the motion on the table. I just want to be clear about what staff is. Um, planning to do in response to this motion if it does pass. Um, my understanding is that council's direction on this proposed motion would be to bring the entire item back. Um, what that means is that staff will not be drafting a new staff report. The, we would ask that the city clerk simply re-agendize the entire item um, and we would represent that item uh, at the soon as possible council meeting given that we have publicly shared that we wanna come to a conclusion on CIP as soon as possible uh, to uh, I think that's all the comments I have, and I just want to make sure that the council is in agreement uh, and the staff uh, understands next steps. 
uh, before the council votes. Thank you, Mr. Shin. Councilmember Harris Spencer. Uh, thank you, Mayor, and thank you, City Attorney. Uh, I'm, I'm happy to hear from the maker of the motion in regards to that, but that was exactly what I was expecting in regards to when it comes back. But um, in regards to, I did want to add, I think there was a public speaker that asked or uh, didn't know if any of us are renters up here, any of us council members are, and I wanted to, some of you do know, I am a long-term renter in Alameda. I've been renting here for over uh, 20 years, so I am a, a tenant also. Thank you. Um, okay, um, anything further? All right, um, have, we've had a motion by Jensen, seconded by Herrera-Spencer, did I get in the correct order? Yes. Okay, um, I strenuously object to this motion and will not support it. May we have a roll call vote, please? Vice Mayor Daysog? Aye. Council members for Spencer? Aye. Jensen? Aye. Bella? No. Mayor Ashcroft? No. That motion carries three to two. Thank you. And with that, we move on to item 6B. Madam Clerk, would you introduce that item, please? Yes. Recommendation to accept the, adopt the City of Alameda 2326 strategic plan. Mayor. Um, yes, yeah, City Manager Ott. This was pulled, so we're happy to answer any questions. Okay, questions, Council. So I had pulled this item. Uh, this is one of those items, honestly, I don't think it was appropriate to have on uh, consent. It had come to us. We have had uh, multiple public meetings in regards to it, but I, I actually would have liked to have a presentation from staff, and I appreciate that they're not prepared to. And we have had public speakers in regards to this is what happens when I think items are put on consent. But this is a huge document for those of you that don't know what a strategic plan is. The city has... Uh, we'll be looking at this like, this is like the chart of where we're going um, over years, over years, at least the next three years, and sometimes it's four years. Uh, so it's a very significant vote. Um, and uh, uh, I, th I think it's actually, many of you may not have had the time to actually read this document. It is voluminous. Um, and this goes to why I think it would have been really nice to have a presentation from staff uh, honestly, but uh, I, I uh, also will not be supporting it because I think if we did, if we had had a presentation, I think many of you would have agreed with me that there's not enough focus on crime uh, and time spent by our staff in reducing crime. Uh, if you look at the item, uh, the, there are some, some departments that have upwards of uh, 20 items assigned to them. Uh, but for police, there was only four, and one of them is the license plate readers that I think we already have. So then there's a very broad discussion in regards to data-driven and intelligence-led policing strategies. Uh, but, um, uh, and recently it was shared, the uh, October 2023, um, I think it's criminal report that uh, the police department shared on social media, and I appreciate them sharing it. But if you look at it, it has significant increases in uh, uh, crime in uh, year to year uh, from um, uh, uh, all, you know, it's different types of crime, right? It's robberies, it's theft, it's uh, vehicles have gone up over, I believe it's like a thousand percent. Uh, it's huge. And so me personally, I think it would have been appropriate to really uh, drill down with the community in regards to these issues. Um, and so I wanted to discuss that and I will not be supporting uh, the item. Thank you. Thank you. 
Um, any other council comments? We have speakers. Okay. I'm not seeing any council hands. Um, so let's. So let me apologize. I thought it was just, I didn't realize we had uh, public speakers that should actually go before I speak. Oh, no, I, no, no, I know what I'm doing. Um, I was asking for clarifying questions. You pulled the item. You clarified your reasons for pulling it. We are now going to public comment. Then we will come back to the council for deliberation. That's the way it works. Okay, Madam Clerk, may we have our public comment? I, Folks, I, we, I, you I have it. What? I we already have. You had your opportunity. <laughs> go ahead. Vice Mayor Desai. Well, thank you. Um, uh, questions for the staff, city manager. Um, the Alameda Architectural Preservation Society um, provided us with a letter on November 6th um, in which they had indicated two items. Um, the item, uh, one item, um, I'll just. Councilmember Desag, these are clarifying questions. We're going to deliberate about and vote on this item afterwards. Oh, okay. Yeah, and you know what? That's correct. That's it, it's more of a question rather than a clarifying question. You're right. Same. It is a question. Right. Okay. No, that's fine. It's, okay. Is, uh, okay. It's, public is fine. Okay. <laughs> All right. So once again, may we have public comment, please? Uh, Shelby Sheehan. And you'll be the first one I call on for council comments. <laughs> Welcome, Speaker Sheehan. Hi there. Um, Kind of a nice change of pace and then get to see everybody in public and their faces um i'm not in my jammies today so um uh, <laughs> as regarding the strategic plan I, I appreciate actually that you did take the feedback that the public gave you um last meeting and add some um, add things to it based on that so i appreciate that um so uh, i just want to uh specifically i appreciate the nod to the historic preservation guidelines and uh it's basically an affirmation of what we already have in the municipal code is that the new development is supposed to match. So the problem that has been existing is that that's not enforced or implemented. And one of the main reasons is because the planning department has absolute control over all permit pro and development processes. As a matter of fact, one single person, the planning director, has control over it. No oversight once he makes a decision. Um, so he's basically given judicial judicial powers just sol solely because he makes changes after the board sees it or board doesn't see a lot of the permits, right? And most of the permits that I've seen that don't uh, that are not public are ones on city properties or including historic preservation. All of the permits should be going to the HAB for their checkoff and uh, review so they can ensure that the historic properties are protected, but they're not. They're kept from the HAB. But the planning department's uh, job is to facilitate information to the historical advisory board. They're not even allowed to make their own agendas. I've asked for things to be agendized. They, they sit there, they can't, they, and only Alan Tai, who's the secretary, maybe a couple of meetings ago, he's the only one that can do it. So they requested some items being on it. They, they were not allowed to. They, uh, they don't see any of the design review unless the planning department uh, gives it to them. And um, they don't check the box for historic properties. They allow fraud, fraudulent or, or false statements on those. A good example is the O Club, which now has a bus corporation yard, no permits, is incomplete, it's fully operational as a chain link fence. It's blocking the O Club so the Rec Park District doesn't get the use that they're supposed to. It was supposed to be held in reserve for this school district. Now it's being leased out to a private third party. Um, it's a hazard. It's an air pollution. And the planning board hasn't even seen it yet because it's not permitted yet. 
So no one can oppose it. So we haven't had a public hearing on it. So it's a complete abuse of the process. You look at the permit, it says there's no surrounding uses. And everybody knows it's not true. I asked the planning department to go and inspect it two months before it was completed, and they wouldn't. And they hid it from the public. It wasn't the, the application itself wasn't able to be even viewed by the public. It's crazy. Um, and apparently it's been, uh, it's been, it's been in process uh, for at least six months. So that's the kind of thing Thank that happens. Thank you so much. When Your time is up. Our next speaker, Madam Clerk. Todd Hickman. Welcome, Speaker Hickman. It's a pleasure to be here in person, and I, I'm glad whoever scammed that agenda change um, did that change because it caused me to get out and come in person. Otherwise, I would be at home at night. So for whoever violated that process, thank you. Also, I'd like to congratulate um, Tracy on this. You've come a long way. I appreciate the horsepower starting to pull. For the last year, I've watched the mayor bully you at every session, and you're fighting back, and you're winning. That's very powerful. And thank you to the other council members, too, that are being strong and doing the right thing. So as far as the strategic plan goes, I just don't see how the council can adopt this because they've already violated so badly. Several tenants of this plan have been severely violated already. Um, the historic um, tenants of this plan. Um, the historic buildings are a mess in this town. There's junkyards attached. Um, everything is going wrong with the development of the historic buildings. So that's already been violated. Um, you talk about fiscal responsibility in this plan. City of Alameda is the most fiscally irresponsible agency in the state. Um, maybe in the United States. I mean, the highest sales tax, 10.75%. The highest occupancy tax, 14 plus percent. Um, $30 million seawall bonds that were um, kind of a scam to the end buyer because there's no end buyer yet, just a developer, so only the city and the developer voted. So that new homeowner is going to realize when they go to close and sign that there's an $8,000 line item on there that the developer um, got to use that $30 million to help finance the project. So another fiscal irresponsible act on the city's behalf. So um, the fiscal responsibility component is just a joke. The city of Alameda is the most fiscally unresponsible agency in the nation. Um, the other part on here about views, this plan talks a lot about views, and this city has violated all the views already. I mean, views are your most important asset, particularly on the point, and it's a total mess. Shipping containers, junkyards, chain link fences with slats, um, view corridors that were 180 feet wide that are now 60 feet wide, and you call it a view corridor? No, that's just a road. That's just a road, a 60-foot road. How can you even dare call that a view corridor? Um, so the city continues to violate um, the strategic plan that's not even implemented. So, I mean, are, are you kidding yourselves? Are you kidding the people? Are you lying to yourselves? Are you delirious? Are you clueless? What is going on here? Those are rhetorical questions. I know this is comment and not question time. So the other part that Spencer Herrera brought up was the fact about crime in the city that is not adequately addressed. One of Alameda's biggest assets was low crime, and that's no longer happening in Alameda. It's becoming high crime. So if you have high crime in Alameda, all these other problems, all these fees, all these taxes, um, the impossible point for most people to live, um, throw in some more crime and the loss of view corridors, what do you have anymore? You just have another average city, not an incredible city like Alameda should be. Mayor, you are the and problem. your time is up. Uh, our next speaker. Uh, Christopher Buckley. Welcome, Speaker Buckley. Is that remote? Yes. Yeah. Welcome, Speaker Buckley. 
Christopher Buckley with the Alameda Architectural Preservation Society. I'd like to review some comments in our November 6th letter that we had sent to the council for November 7th, which council member Daysog already referred to. First, thank you to the council and staff for incorporating many of the recommendations in our September 18th letter into the revised strategic plan that would be considered tonight. There are two September 18th recommendations, however, that have not yet been included. So we ask the council to add these to the plan. The recommendations read as follows. One, add the following project under the House All Alamedans and Homelessness Strategic Priority. Explore policies and implementing actions which will facilitate a higher proportion of affordable housing, especially low and very low income housing in future development while maintaining and preserving historic resources. Two, add the following project to the Enhanced Community Safety and Services Strategic Priority. Establish standards for new development on streets in older neighborhoods in order to minimize congestion, maintain safety, and ensure adequate ingress, egress, and parking for adjacent properties. Again, we ask the council to include these provisions in the plan. Thank you. Thank you. Our next speaker. Carmen Reed. Welcome, Speaker Reed. Good evening, Madam Mayor and, uh, and City Council members. Um, I'm also in support of AAPS's comments, and I hope that you will um, will consider them and, um, and and include them in the strategic plan. So, um, you know, Alameda is very rich on historical resources. We have, a, um, you know, a lot of older buildings, and especially over at Alameda Point, um, the naval, the the former naval air station, in fact, has. Um, has plenty of houses uh, that are owned by the city. And I recently did a report and I photographed all of the historical resources out there that are uh, that are currently owned by the city. And just like the other gentleman mentioned, um, so many of them are in disrepair. And, um, you know, I, I hear the mayor say that she wants to house people and that that's important. And so I, I respectfully ask all of you to please maintain all of the historic properties at Alameda Point. You know, people live in those buildings um, and they, they need to be repaired. The, um, the, the gutters are broken. Um, there's uh, dry rot around the windows. Um, they're in dire need of paint. In fact, um, there was a fire at a couple of uh, the, the little whites um, that need um, like total restoration. And there's other little whites that are boarded up and um, it looks like they're just vacant. I mean, these are city properties that should be rented out. I mean, you wanna house people? Um, here's an opportunity, right? And, uh, and you could do it quickly. But, but uh, the city needs to be a good landlord and um, really demonstrate to the rest of the community, right, to the rest of the landlords um, to, uh, um, to maintain your properties, right? So make everything look nice. Follow the proper ordinances. Um, maintain good landscaping, right? Be a good example. And, um, and that's what I'm asking you to do. So thank you very much. Thank you. Our next speaker. 
That was our last speaker. All right, with that, we close public comment on item 6B. And I call on Vice Mayor Daysog. Uh, yes, thank you very much. Um, so I do want to um, follow up on the point that um, a uh, member of the public, Christopher Buckley, was raising in terms of the um, November 6th letter. Um, and the one, uh, there are two items there. The one item I do want to draw attention to and ask about and to get to see if city staff has a response is on the first item, um, the AAPS writes, at the following project under, quote, house all Alamedans and homelessness, end quote, strategic priority. So at the following under that strategic priority. And the following reads as, <clears throat> explore policies and implementing actions which facilitate a higher proportion of affordable housing, especially low and very low income housing, in future developments while maintaining and preserving historic resources. Uh, you know, is, is the staff have any comments? Please. Yeah, sure. I'm happy to Thank answer. Thank you, City Manager. Ott. Okay, sorry. Yep. Yep. Happy to answer that question. Um, we are we already have in the strategic plan. It's the housing and um, homeless. It's HH8A is what it is, but 8A under that housing priority, where we we talk about developing a, um, amendments and updating the draft affordable housing ordinance. And one of the things we can look at is different proportions of affordable housing. If there are questions and issues about how that ordinance affects historic resources, we can answer those questions and explore that. But that project is is already in, in the strategic plan, and we're happy to have those discussions as part of those future public hearings. Anything further, uh, Vice Mayor? Uh, no, I'll uh, ask. Thank you. Thank mm -hmm. you for the response. All right. Other uh, comments and questions, council members? Council thank member you, Mayor. Herrera Spencer. Um, I do want to thank first the public speakers. They raised, I thought, very good issues, which I agree with. Um, another issue I thought of was that uh, this plan is uh, says that we're going to have an exclusive, inclusive governance. And then many of you know, have noted that the uh, public comment non-agenda item was changed uh, to uh, remote only, or in person only, not remote. And so then we have people that are disabled, people that have other issues that uh, were not able to come to participate in the public comment non-agenda. Uh, and that was an abrupt change. And in fact, uh, that was not a council decision. I'm, I'm not sure exactly who made the decision, but it was, uh, and I have asked, so I, I don't know if, if the staff would like to uh, clarify who made that decision. Is that under the sign? Um, I'm going to first go turn to the city attorney to ask if this falls within the um, umbrella of the strategic plan. I think beyond answering the question, there shouldn't be a full discussion about this item. I think you can briefly answer, staff can briefly answer the question, and then um, if, if council wishes to have a fuller discussion on this topic, it should be separately agendized. Mm -hmm. I agree. I'm just asking if staff will tell us who made that decision. Um, do you want to? Do you want to? Um, do you want to speak? Uh, I'm, I'm happy to respond. Um, I I wasn't at the meeting where the decision was made, but I understand the decision was made collectively by the agenda setters. Um, the city. The city. Um, I can explain the whole process if, if you give me a brief moment, but. Um, 
I was trying to keep it short. So basically this was done in response to Zoom hate speech at the last meeting and um, Charter Section 6-1 says the mayor shall be the official and ceremonial head of the city and shall preside at all meetings of the council. Alameda Municipal Code Section 2-1.6 uh, says council sets the rules of order by resolution. 2-1.7 says the rules of order are set by resolution. In the rules of order, um, council adopted Rosenberg's rule, which the role of the chair states for all intents and purposes. The chair makes the final ruling on the rules every time the chair states an action. In fact, all decision by the chair are final unless overruled by the body itself. The council handbook agenda setting um, outlines kind of the process and then says unless otherwise specifically directed by council the city manager city clerk and city attorney shall have final authority to set the agenda for the respective area of administrative responsibility so the charter municipal code council meeting rules of order rosenberg's rules of sunshine ordinance and the council handbook are all silent and do not address remote speakers uh, during the over 25 years i've been with the city the city clerk's office in conjunction with the manager and attorney have always controlled the agenda language um, and that is what i will say about Thank how you that, for that clarification and as the city attorney um, stated for further discussions that item will have to be agendized so I'm not planning to discuss that further. However, in regards to the strategic plan, which council votes on, it speaks to an inclusive governance. And as uh, many speakers have said, the, regardless of what council votes for, somehow it changes before it shows up in an agenda item to the public. And um, so that being said, I think that's another issue with these strategic plans that they're actually not followed, and I'll just leave it at, by staff. Um, and, we, and I think this is a very serious problem. Um, I do want to uh, correct myself when I spoke earlier. Car theft uh, from January through the end of October of last year, we had 468 cars stolen. This year, we have had to date uh, 1,014 vehicles stolen, which uh, is a 116% increase uh, year to date. If you look at what we call part one crimes, which are the most serious uh, year to date, we've had a 31% increase, uh, which covers you know robberies, theft, auto theft, of course, uh, assaults. So that's to me a very, very important issue. Thank you. Thank you, and I just wanna remind all of our, my council colleagues that um, the rules that govern the conduct of city council meetings do prevent us from disparaging um, both each other and also city staff. So um, let's all just be mindful of that, all of us. All right, so I'd like to we continue. have uh, council, council member Hera Spencer. Yes. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Um, uh, I would like to respond in that it is appropriate for me to say that we're, we are voting for a, a plan that will not be followed, thank you. And, and that's not by council. And my remarks stand as made. All right, so um, we have this item that was pulled from the consent calendar. It needs to be, um, we need a motion to approve it so we can move on to our regular calendar. And we do have a lot of important items. There's a bunch of veterans I can see sitting in the audience. So do I have a motion to approve item 6B? Uh, Councilman Ravella. I'll move approval. Thank you, do I have a second? It's been moved by Council Member Vela, seconded by Council Member Jensen. All those in, oh. I'd like to make a, um, Vice a, Mayor? a alternative motion. Um, 
if I may. Um, I, um, I, and I'll explain why I will make the um, alternative motion. I would like to insert um, the wording that's in the um, AAPS November 6th letter um, uh, where it says explore policies implementing actions um, will that will facilitate higher proportion of affordable housing, especially. Um, um, I, I would like to insert the phrase especially explore policies and then take that whole phraseology and then um, insert it into house all homeless and end homelessness on page 27 and uh, insert the phrasing, hold on, to um, project list number, um, 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 project list number, um, so 8A, are you talking about updating the inclusionary housing ordinance? Yes, exactly. And that's page 28? Yeah. Uh, so updating the inclusionary housing ordinance, and for those in the audience, the inclusionary housing ordinance is that which requires it all new housing developments on the main island have at least 15% affordable. If it's at Alameda Point, there must be at least 25% affordable housing. The struggle that home builders and developers have had is financing these projects. So I am always concerned when people want us to further increase that percentage because some of us in the housing advocacy realm find that a way to actually kill projects. But what percentage no. are we talking about, Vice I, Mayor? I'm not offering a, a percentage. I'm just offering it for this, because that's the point of the strategic plan, for, this, for, this, uh, for the city's manager's office to look into it. And let me explain, though. Let me explain. Please. Because it has been a pet peeve of mine, and I'll explain um, within my two minutes. So as the mayor said, by state law, um, outside of Alameda Point, we have to set aside 15% of uh, housing um, for new development for um, very low and low income. Um, that's state law. At Alameda Point, we do 25%. Now, there's a separate state law that developers take advantage of, which is called the density bonus. So what that means, for example, is, and this is the way that it's written state law and is codified locally, if a developer exercises what's called the density bonus and oftentimes increases their 15% inclusionary requirement by one percentage point, maybe two, something like that, one or two percentage point, by increasing their affordable housing via the density bonus um, law um, from 15, the state required 15%, to 16%, the developer then gets to build 20% more housing. And to me, that's not a fair deal. So I mean, for heaven's sakes, increase, you know, increase above the 15% required 
by 3%, 4%, I don't know, but 1%, in exchange for a 1% increase, you get, a, you get to build 20% more market rate housing, that's not a fair deal. So in adopting AAPS's recommendation, all I'm suggesting is for the city staff to really take a look at how can we really incentivize people to do more than the 1%, because that's all they do. They just do 1%. I'm gonna do 1% more affordable than this required, but I'm gonna get 20% more market rate housing. That's why, that's my motion. Thank you. Uh, maker of the motion, did you understand that um, the modification? I'm seeing you shake your head. Can no, you get no, no, an oral? Mine is an alternative motion. Oh, yours is an alternative motion. Um, I'm afraid I don't understand it. Uh, what you, are you just saying to pull that paragraph out of the AAPS letter and make it your motion? City manager, did you want to? Do you understand? Um, I'm not sure I entirely understand. I can say this, though, that in, I've worked on updating inclusionary housing ordinances, and typically what you do is you do hire an economic consultant because you want to be really careful that you don't end up changing the financial feasibility of housing and end up having the opposite effect, which is to actually create a barrier to housing production. So I will say that we will be looking carefully and running scenarios as part of that update to say, hey, what would happen if we did a higher proportion or a lower proportion or we change, maybe we keep the proportions the same, but you change the income levels. And we can look at that for you and evaluate different scenarios so that you have the benefit of that analysis and making your decision on how to update the ordinance. Um, so we will be exploring scenarios, and one of them could very easily be looking at a higher proportion scenario, and I'm, I'm happy to do that. We will probably already be looking at that. So, so will that entail hiring a consultant or expanding the scope of a consultant's work? And I, I don't think so, because we would be looking at other, we would be looking at scenarios anyway as part of any update, and, and we'd want to make sure any update we did did not impact financially and have the opposite effect of, of creating a barrier to housing protection. And with all due respect, that language was pretty wordy for a motion. Um, I don't know if the clerk or the city manager might be able to help us put it into, uh, I, I was taking notes, but I didn't. Well, I guess would um, Vice Mayor Daytalk, would you be open to saying, you know, adding some and, simplified and I'll language? And I just remind Vice Mayor Daytalk that you have no time left. No. <laughs> I'm happy to make a motion to give him five more minutes. And that takes four votes, correct? Okay, I'm not supporting that. But anyway, we've had a motion by Councilmember Harris Spencer, seconded by Jensen to give the council member five more minutes. I might consider 60 seconds, but I wouldn't go for five more minutes. Okay. That's fine. We can reduce a minute. Okay, you make the motion to give him one more minute? Yeah. Okay, all right. Um, all those in favor of giving council member um, Desog one more minute to speak on this, uh, uh, signify by stating aye. aye. Oh, sorry, sorry, that's wrong. <laughs> we have to do it roll call because we have a remote. Oh, trick question. Okay. Um, <laughs> Madam Clerk, may we have a roll call vote, please? Vice Mayor Desog? Yes. Councilmember Herr Spencer? Aye. Jensen? Aye. Vela? Aye. Mayor Asiashcraft? Yes. That carries by five eyes.
Okay, so would I, um, excuse me, no sidebar conversations, please. Hello, this is a public meeting. Um, the, what I would suggest that you do is let the city manager um, ask a question or pose the language. Just to, I, that you can do whatever you want, but I think it would economize your 60 seconds. So, city manager? Sure, I mean, one, one option would just be to, because we're, we're trying to keep it sim some simplified, that we just said update inclusionary housing ordinance, including um, exploration of, you know, or evaluation of higher proportion scenarios or something like that. I mean, we could work on it making a little more sense, but where we, we're essentially committing in the strategic plan to evaluating scenarios that increase the overall percentage of affordable housing. We're not saying we're going to recommend that, but yeah, that we're we're going to analyze it and evaluate it. Um, does that sound okay? Um, it sounds okay, and for the record, uh, the evaluation is based upon the way that I describe why I'm raising this is because of my um, disappointment with the density bonus <laughs> rule. So, and um, you know, we could. I mean, we take that. We'll take that direction. But I think it's also like how the interaction between our housing, or our inclusionary housing ordinance, interplays with the density bonus. And we can. We will do that analysis as well. All right. I'm fine. Okay. So that's a motion to amend item six B to add that language. Correct. Mm -hmm. Okay. That's the motion. And did we have a second? Okay, do we, have a second? we have a second from Councilmember Horace Spencer. Okay, all the, okay. Can we discuss the motion? Can, can we? Oh, sure, we can discuss the motion. I'd uh, just like to comment if that's of okay. Of course, yes, oh, I, I thought I'd call on people and nobody raised their hand. Oh, you wanna vote first and then talk about it? No. Um, Councilmember Jensen, um, that is a rather disparaging comment and I would urge us to um, not do that. Okay, I'm sorry if I missed you, but I did think I called for Councilmember comments, but I guess I might have stopped with the Vice Mayor. So, Councilmember Jensen? Um, I just wanted to appreciate the amendment, and I um, agree with uh, Councilmember, with Vice Mayor Davis. The inclusionary housing ordinance is definitely a, a, a good tool that we need to, we need to support and we need to, but, we, but I think in Alameda we can make the inclusionary housing ordinance relevant and more effective if we also look at ensuring housing options for all and expanding housing options, but also ensuring that these options don't, don't eliminate or um, restrict access, eliminate or restrict transport through our historic neighborhoods, and that they also protect our historic assets. Thank you. Thank you. Councilmember Jensen, anything further? Councilmember Vella, anything further? Go ahead. I, I just want to clarify from the city manager that the, the motion as stated captures, um, it, it doesn't necessarily lock us into something. It allows us to explore, but doesn't put the requirement on. That is correct. This would be city part of the evaluation and scenarios brought to you for options for how you might choose to update the ordinance. And that's good. And then my second question is, without adding cost to that value, to, to that analysis, or is there a cost uh, associated with this? I don't. I don't think there's a cost. I think any update to the ordinance would evaluate potential higher proportion scenarios. It could be that those are found to be not feasible because they might actually create a barrier to housing production. So we would disclose that and and explain that. Um, but um, I, we would be evaluating those options. Okay, Anything, any further questions? Okay, I 
think that's a reasonable um, amendment, and I'm willing to support that. So we have had a motion by Vice Mayor Daysak, seconded by Councilmember Harris Spencer. Madam Clerk, may we have a roll call vote, please? Vice Mayor Daysak. Aye. Councilmember Spencer. Spencer. No. Jensen. Aye. Uh, Vela. Aye. Mayor Eziashcraft. Aye. That carries four to one. All right. Thank you so much. Um, okay. Now, at long last, <laughs> we've all been waiting for. It's almost nine o'clock, but we are going to move on to item um, the regular agenda item, and um, we start with item seven A. And Madam Clerk, while you're um, uh, introducing the item, yes, here comes our staff to um, to introduce. Um, this item, but you go ahead and um, introduce the item, please, if you would. Recommendation for our direction to staff on a facility improvement plan for the Veterans Memorial Building. This action is exempt from environmental review pursuant to California Environmental Quality Act, Section 15331, Historical Resources Restoration Re Rehabilitation. Thank you, and welcome. And please introduce yourself, Director Smith. Good evening, uh, Madam Mayor, members of the council. I'm Aaron Smith, Public Works Director. Also with me this evening is Mike Billington, our Facilities Manager, um, and he'll be available for questions and discussion that follow the presentation. Um, tonight, we're seeking direction from council um, on a facility improvement plan for the Veterans Memorial Building. Oh, in the next 10 minutes, um, I am going to briefly cover just some facility background, go over recent um, investments in um, at the Veterans Memorial Building, explore what we're calling a baseline facility plan, um, discuss some options or projects um, for council to consider adding to the baseline facility plan, um, and then present um, some financial considerations. Um, so the Veterans Memorial Building is located at 2203 Central Ave. It's on the corner of Central and Walnut. Um, the parcel of land that the building is on has always been owned by the city, um, but in 1928, the city leased that land to the county, um, and shortly thereafter, the county constructed the building um, in 1929 and operated um, that building until the time it transferred to the city. Um, before that transfer in 1982, um, city council designated the building as um, Alameda Historical Monument Number 17. Um, and then in 1996, the council adopted a resolution that um, took ownership of the building um, and notably took over responsibility from the county to provide a meeting place for the veterans um, in accordance with uh, state veterans law. Um, in 2007, the um, building was then added to the National Register of Historic um, Places. I thought some pictures would be good to illustrate how the building um, is currently being used. Um, the veterans um, occupy the majority of what we call the east wing, or on the east side of the building. Um, there's three main rooms. The one in the center there is the um, veterans meeting room. Um, the bottom left is the auxiliary auditorium where they hold sea cadet uh, ceremonies and, and other sort of more formal events. Um, and then that on the right is the billiards room, which is adjacent to the meeting room. In addition to the veterans' use, um, the Alameda Free Library uses um, a room upstairs for um, the adult literacy program. Um, Alameda Recreation and Parks um, Department um, occupies a couple rooms in the basement um, of the building for summer and after-school programs. And the photo in the upper right is of the main auditorium, which is a, a shared uh, a room and, and also um, the gem of the building. It's, it's really quite a stunning room. 
Um, so the building is um, operational costs and capital investments are supported by two internal service funds. Um, and the internal service funds, um, uh, the internal service funds are um, paid for by uh, Recreation and Parks Department and the library based upon their square footage that they occupy. Uh, Recreation and Parks Department funds the veterans portion um, of the building. Um, over the last five or so years, um, over 800,000 has been invested in the facility. Um, I'm not going to um, list out all the projects, but just to name a couple of recent highlights was the Wi-Fi um, installation, which I know has been in great use since then, the front facade restoration, uh, new flagpole restoration, and some other um, indoor uh, renovations. <clears throat> um, each building in the city's internal service fund, and there's over 50 buildings um, in our internal service fund, has a 10-year capital plan. Those 10-year capital plans have costs associated with them that are annualized with each occupying department of any building paying an annual portion along the way such that 10 years worth of projects are funded. Um, prior to um, our budget, just most recent budget adoption process, there was a 10-year um, capital plan in place for the Veterans Memorial Building. Um, as part of the budget adoption process, the veterans um, specifically were advocating um, for projects um, at the building. And shown here, there's a lot on this slide, so I'm going to kind of go over it um, in different phases. But um, this is what we're presenting as the baseline facility plan. So all the projects that are bulleted on the right-hand side make up this facility plan. And it values at $1.9 and will be invested over the next eight years. The plan requires no additional funding commitments at this time, other than the 100,000 that council already appropriated at budget adoption and the ongoing cost allocation through the internal service funds. This plan also includes staff acquisition of an energy conservation um, grant um, of about $130,000. The projects shown in black were those that were already part of our 10-year capital plan. And those are the three bulleted points in the top for 23, 25, and the two in the bottom for those that aren't um, noticing color. Um, and then the projects that are shown in red or the bottom five bullet points in the 23, 25 um, are projects that have been specifically added based on conversations and really working this through with our uh, veteran partners and, um, and with Mike, uh, our facility manager's input on how we can creatively accomplish um, all of these listed here. So this is, again, the baseline facility plan. It includes most, but not all of the veterans requested projects. Um, so for those that are included, it's, re it's replacement of the heaters, installing hot water in the bathrooms, upgrading the restrooms, which includes the fixtures in the stall. It includes restoring the hardwood floor in that auditorium, um, interior lighting upgrades, uh, recarpeting the veterans uh, meeting room, um, and although the interior paint was requested by the veterans, we, we agree. Um, we have that slated at a later date, 2029, um, and recommend that that project stay in that space. All of this, of course, is subject to council input. So the projects not included in the baseline facility plan are, are three. Um, there's um, the request to install a commercial kitchen. Um, at the building, and then there's restoration of a bar in the basement floor, um, and then also restoration of the hardwood floors in that billiard room and auxiliary room. 
So those are the projects not included in the baseline that we've prepared as options um, for council to consider whether to add or um, to proceed with the baseline plan as proposed. I wanted to step back and just give some context on the kitchen. Um, so the building has an existing um, non-functional kitchen. Uh, records show that around the turn of the century, um, that kitchen became non-functional and there hasn't been investment in the facility since then. Uh, we know that the veterans are really eager to have pancake breakfast and other um, community events um, at the kitchen or at the hopefully, or maybe, maybe restored kitchen. To give some context on commercial kitchens in the city's building portfolio, the Mastic Senior Center is the only facility with a commercial kitchen, and that is used for the senior uh, meal program preparation and is not rented to the public. The O Club, which is a very popular rental venue for private events, has what we call a staging kitchen, and that kitchen is used for food preparation, um, catering, uh, present, you know, catering food, but it is not for cooking on site. So that just gives some context. Uh, commercial kitchen is pretty involved, um, and it's going to involve for the veterans' building. Will involve new plumbing, fire insulation, code compliant appliances, and we estimate that cost at around five hundred thousand. So presented here are some options. So if um, council wanted to consider uh, what's what we're calling a staging kitchen, which would allow again for food preparation, um, catering, um, keeping catering food warm with heating devices. Um, that would be at around $100,000. Um, the commercial kitchen's around, like I said, a half a million. Um, if we wanted to add restoring the hardwood floors in the billiard room and auxiliary room, um, those add about $47,000 um, to, we're, we've put it in as option two, but council can really think of these as a la carte if they want um, in regards to adding uh, projects or not to the baseline. Staff does not recommend uh, proceeding with restoring the bar at this time. Um, my understanding based on recent conversations with the veterans is that their conversations on um, their desired and best use um, of this building are evolving um, and may not ultimately need to be a bar. Um, but our really rough estimate um, right now, if the bar was to be restored, uh, would be $750,000. Again, staff's not recommending this at the time, at this time. Um, really quick, so at the close of last fiscal year, 2022-23, council adopted a resolution that rolled forward $3 million in unspent general funds. Um, they were originally intended for police radios and fire trucks. Police radios were purchased. Fire engines were purchased, cost $434,000. you have got $2.5 million left in carryover funds, and I wanted council to be uh, aware of that as they consider this facility plan for the Veterans Memorial Building, and I am at time, and we are seeking your direction on the facility improvement plan this evening. Well done on the timing, <laughs> Ms. Smith. Thank you for that. Before we go to public comment, do we have any clarifying questions from the council? Um, uh, council Member Jensen. Thank you. Um, my question regarding the staff report, the, um, the discussion you include the 800,000 in, um, improvements that were done in the past five years, is that right? And in the staff report it said these are advocated by veterans for these improvements, and I, these include lead abatement, roof repairs, flagpole, front facade restoration. 
And um, I also, I believe there are some lighting and electric improvements. So were they also requested or supported by ARPD and the library since they both used the facility? Thank you. Thank you for the question, Councilmember Jensen. Yes, as part of our um, internal service fund, when we originally crafted our 10-year facility plans, we sit down with each department of each building um, and we mapped out those 10 years and then as part of every two-year budget adoption, we revisit that with occupying departments. So yeah, I'm just clarifying that this wasn't driven by the veterans, it was also necessary to keep the programs that the city provides in the building. Yes, Thanks. absolutely. Um, and with regard to that as well, the other programs that were advocated by veterans in the report, Wi-Fi, carpet replacement, heating system, those are also being used and um, being supporting our programming. Um, some of those, yes, some of those, no. I mean, the carpet, just to be specific, the carpeting is specific to the veterans building that's occupied by the veterans okay. building. Of course, restoring, some of them do serve the entirety of the building. Um, but there are some that are specific to that east wing that's solely used by the veterans group. And then um, finally, would the programs that the literacy program and the um, ARPD usage, are there opportunities or options for placing, relocating those programs? To different buildings? To a library or to um, the ARPD building on Santa Clara? We've not considered that. Thanks. Um, I will just ask um, some clarifying questions. By the way, um, thank you very much, Ms. Smith and Mr. Billington for putting this, um, this uh, uh, staff report together. The, I asked this question and others might have noticed it too in, um, because there is some talk about rather than putting substantial money into the veterans building for a commercial kitchen when there are these significant restrictions on um, parking um, in, an, in the parking lot and around the facility and also the fact that the area where the meals would be served is on a floor above the kitchen and it's a very narrow, a very small um, uh, elevator. And so there, there was um, reference in the staff report, page seven, that um, the O Club has a kitchen that could be upgraded to a commercial kitchen for public use and um, it generates between 50 and $75,000 annually. So I emailed and said, Seems a little low for um, for rental, but do you want to do you want to clarify um, what uh, what you told me in the letter? Because I think the public and my colleagues would be interested in that. Yes, thank you, Madam Mayor. Um, uh, in preparation for the staff report, we've been in consultation with Director Long from the Recreation and Parks Department, um, and certainly had extensive inquiry around the O Club and its use. Um, the O Club, the, the numbers referenced by um, the mayor were for looking back at a five-year period, which included pandemic years. Um, so we revisited that with Director Long today, and when you remove um, the uh, pandemic years, you're closer to about 150 to 175,000 in revenue per year for the O Club, which um, again currently includes just the staging kitchen. Yeah. Okay. Thank you for that clarification. Sure. Okay, that was my clarifying question. Anything further before we go to public comment? Council Member Harris Spencer. Thank you. Uh, I wanted to thank Director uh, Smith for this presentation. The pictures I thought were extremely helpful. I have a qu question in regards to the funding. When I look at the baseline plan here, there's 100,000 in general funds, but most of it is internal service fund or HVAC. Uh, can you explain what the different funds are? Yes, most definitely. So the internal service fund, um, as mentioned, um, 
um, is a fund that supports the entire um, city building portfolio. Um, and previously, we've had a 10-year um, facility plan that annually we've been collecting costs from the Recreation and Parks Department as well as the library. Those are the two occupying departments of the building. And every year, there's a line item in their budgets that essentially contribute funds to support that 10-year plan. So when it's noted as the internal service fund, it means funds have been planned to be collected through that cost allocation model. The 100,000 that is referenced was the additional 100,000 that council committed to as part of the budget adoption process to add the heating replacement project. So it's called out specifically as a, a general fund contribution. Okay, so the city's had control of this building for 26 years. Um, how much money have they spent like in the last 10 years on it? Um, I don't have numbers looking back 10 years, but from 2017, the capital investment has been over 800,000 and operating cost annually are about 175,000. So why hasn't the city uh, uh, given them a commercial kitchen so they can cook and feed, you know, feed veterans? Our current uh, facility plan has been based on current programming and in consultation with the Recreation and Parks Department who would use the commercial kitchen in that space if it's there, although not the highest use case for it. Um, also noted in the staff report, um, we have an advisory committee uh, with a veterans group that was resurrected better part of a year, year and a half or so ago. Um, and prior to that, I can't say I've been involved in those conversations, but I really wasn't aware of the demand or need for a commercial kitchen. Um, so that conversation is somewhat recent with the veterans and hence we're here tonight to explore possibilities. Thank you. All right, any further clarifying questions before we go to public comment? Seeing none, Madam Clerk, um, public comment, please. Yes, and I wanted to make sure everybody submitted a speaker slip who wants to speak on this item. I only got one from a veteran, so I, I didn't know. Um, the first is Joe LaParo. Welcome, Speaker LaParo. And how many speakers do we have, Madam Clerk? Four right now, okay. but I don't know if anyone has. Hello. Good evening, Mayor and Council members. and. Everybody on the DS, first thing I'd like to do is wish everybody happy Thanksgiving. Oh, it's a great holiday season we're coming across. And wish everybody happiness and good health. So um, you've all received a letter that explained a lot more than my couple minutes here is going to be able to explain. I did hear some things about parking. I want to remind you we have a six-story parking building less than a, right about a block from our parking. We also... Um, share some parking with the church that's across the street. They always allow us to uh, go ahead and use their facility when they're not using it. And quite often, the times we use it, they're not using theirs. So it works out to be very good. Um, I do want to remind everybody that that kitchen was completely operational and the bar was completely operational. And we, do, we have no need for the bar. We, we do not want to move forward with that at all. But the kitchen was completely operational when it was taken over by the city. And I'm going to read the city's resolution. Um, give you the number. 12737, for those of you that have never had the chance to read it. It was, sent, it was done in 1996. And I'm just going to read one paragraph from it. 
Be it further resolved that the city council agrees and assures that upon the transfer of the Veterans Memorial Building to the city of Alameda, all rights granted to veterans under the California Military and Veterans Code for the continued access to and reasonable use of the Alameda Veterans Building shall be preserved. Um, you've really not lived up to that. This resolution has been more like my resolution to lose weight on New Year's Eve. And you stick a cake in front of me and that goes, that resolution. But that's what it's been an equal to. It's, it's really something, a resolution from a city, a governing body is a legal action. And right now you haven't lived up to it. And that's all we want is continued access to the things that we've had over the years. And, um, you know, the, the Director Smith and uh, Mike Billington, they've been awesome. They've, they've worked with us. They've listened to us. They've done what they can. Now it's time for you guys to do what you can. So I'm sure that with the integrity that you all have and that this city has, that we're going to get a unanimous vote to support option two not one, not baseline. We're going to get the baseline and option two passed unanimously from all of you. That's what I'm looking forward to tonight. Thank you. Thank you. Our next speaker, Todd Hickman. Welcome, Speaker Hickman. Veteran services, an issue very near and dear to me, so this is very important to get this done. Um, I appreciate Director Smith's report. I think that was one of the best um, city employee reports I've heard in a long time, so I give applause to that. Um, I think um, one of the biggest issues that I believe the city has um, misrepresented is these repairs as improvements. These are not improvements. This is planned maintenance that should have been done decades ago. So to say you're spending any money at this point at the baseline is complete nonsense because again, you should have taken care of this stuff. These are more false promises to veterans. Um, again, the Navy did build this town. Whether you like that or not, the Navy is what made Alameda happen. Look at the 900 acres the Navy gave to you and look how it's been squandered since 1996. The Navy didn't park junkyards out there. Um, they had planes and clear views and just a beautiful space. And the city has really let that deteriorate, including these veterans' buildings. So the baseline doesn't cut it. That's just planned maintenance that, again, should have been done decades ago. So I urge you to take it even further. Um, thank you, Joe, for clarifying what the city promised. Um, that was an excellent point. Um, also, I, I, I do, do, though, think that the building does need a bar. What's happened at the Oak Club does represent positive income, um, and Joe did dispel the myth that parking is an issue because there is lots of parking. This is a building that could be used by all kinds of people for all kinds of events. It could be a fabulous space, and it could really fulfill a need within Alameda. So it does need a bar. It does need that, um, that, that potential um, to accommodate any kind of an event. And without a bar, without a commercial kitchen, you're just selling that short. Um, any nonsense that the commercial kitchen could be fulfilled by the Oak Club, well, that's way across town. So that's not really going to work. And clearly, that building is already bringing in good revenue, good income. So why would you want to mess with that and burden that?
that um, with this building's needs? Why would you not just put the money into this building like you should have done long ago? Um, again, it's just really um, disturbed me with the waste, fraud, and abuse I've seen by this council, this particular regime, and not to see the veterans get what they need and what they deserve. Um, money should be put into this and it should thrive. Um, it's really disrespectful what happened to the veterans and what's happened to these buildings and how they've been allowed to go into disrepair. So here's an incredible opportunity to make this right, to do big things with this big building, to make it live up to its full potential and give it all the resources it needs so the veterans and the cause can flourish. Um, it's just like the Hornet Museum that the city makes pay $5,000 a month. That's wrong. They should pay nothing. That develops a huge um, Time is up. impact to the speaker. Shelby Sheehan. Welcome, Speaker Sheehan. Hi there, thank you. Um, I think Todd failed to mention he's a vet. Um, so. Speaker Sheehan, if you speak away from the microphone, we don't so, hear you. Todd, I'd like to say you're a vet too, so he you know, is, is, is invested in it as well, and as he should be. Thank you for your service, Todd. Um, so I think uh, I agree with uh, Mr. Hickman that um, the city owns the building. It's a historic resource. They've been letting it get dilapidated. You know, they haven't enforced these um, substandard conditions against themselves, which they don't do in their own historic bu buildings. If they had, these uh, would not have been, the the items would not have been upgrades or whatever. They would have been regular maintenance. They should have done years ago. They should have been kept up years ago. Hot water in the bathrooms, no hot water in the bathrooms right now. That's inexcusable. Um, the O Club, someone mentioned the O Club. It's all on the other side of town. It doesn't have the same functionality. At, but what is interesting is that it doesn't have any parking anymore because a private, comp a private company took over two-thirds of the parking lot. And we experienced that during the boutique, annual holiday boutique, where no one could find a place to park. They were spilling out into the public roadways and the neighborhood, so making it like a one-way street. And um, also, another thing about the Oak Club is, it, is that they mentioned about the kitchen is that it does show that a kitchen is um, important, and having a kitchen where you can cook food there increases the value. So it'll increase the rent rates, it'll increase the use. You can have a fundraiser there because you can make pancakes. That's so uh, you know low low cost to do if you have if you can cook the pancakes on site. It's used by the public. It's beautiful um, because it's a vet's memorial. It has very reasonable rates as a public property. So it's a matter of equity as well. And uh, like I said, long overdue. Everything else gives it added value, which will increase the revenue. There's no reason not to do it. Thank you. Thank you. Our next speaker is remote, uh, Carmen Reed. Welcome, Speaker Reed. Good evening. Again, Madam Mayor and City Council. Um, I want to thank the previous speakers, um, especially uh, Mr. Joe Laparo and Mr. Hickman. Um, and thank you both for your service. I think that we we need to do the right thing for the veterans. Um, this is a this is a beautiful building. It should have been maintained over the years. Uh, it's sadly gone into disrepair, as you as you can see. Um, it's our responsibility um, to maintain this gem. It's in the middle of town. It's uh, very accessible. 
um, to everyone. As uh, as was previously mentioned, there's there, there's plenty of parking in the in the parking structure, which is very nearby, and um, and having a commercial kitchen is a is a true asset to our community. So not only can it be gen can it be revenue generating, let's say to support cottage industries, right? Like maybe you know people who are, um, you know who are like who are veterans or or not veterans, um, but they want to start a little business. Maybe they want to make granola or um, you know um, you know package some other goods or you know something to sell. Um, I think that's a that's a real benefit to our community, and um, and also as the as the other speaker, Ms. Sheehan, mentioned that you know having this kitchen could help um, uh, you know our community do fundraising. So we have wonderful scouting um, you know troops. We have Boy Scouts, Girl Scouts. We have um, you know a plethora of community groups in our schools um, that are doing fundraisers. And they and they need a need a place, right? To to host um, the O Club is all the way across town. I think it's also useful for them to have a commercial kitchen, and, and I hope that you'll also look at that carefully when that comes up. But I think that this uh, veterans building is truly an excellent location, and I hope that you seize this opportunity um, to do the right thing, to support our community, and um, thank you very much. I hope you do it. Thank you. Our next speaker. That was our last speaker. Okay. With that, we close public comment on item 7A, and we move to council um, comments deliberation. Vice Mayor. Yes, I uh, have Vice questions for staff. Sure. Um, now, in the uh, second to the last slide, uh, titled financial considerations. Um, Mention is made of some amount of remaining uh, money in the general fund expenditure budget, um, which, um, yeah. Uh, and it's in the next uh, bullet point, it says it's intended for the purchase of police radios and a fire engine. Um, let me ask about the about the police radio, and I, I know you're not the chief of police, but <laughs> hopefully, hopefully you've connected with, with the chief. Um, is there something about the police radios? I mean, are, are we really um, a, 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 in a dire situation with, what's the situation with police radios if staff who, can respond? Who would like to take that? City Manager, no, General, please. That, yeah. Yeah. Um, and this was, we talked about this as part of the budget, so I don't have all the details, but essentially the type of police radios are required, like they no longer are compatible, and so there's a need to essentially update all of the police radios, and that was approved, and that contract's approved, so that's, okay. that ship has sailed, so to speak, um, and it was, it was definitely necessary to be able to make sure there was an interconnectedness with the county, and I don't remember all the details, but it, okay. but it was a, very, a pretty important purchase. I guess the so the way that I'm reading the bullet point though is to say that the money can either go to police radios or to oh, by misreading uh, or yeah, to the, so or to the kitchen. Madam Mayor, do you mind? Yeah. yeah no, so um, thank you for the question, Vice Mayor Desog. Um, so the resolution that adopted um, the budget um, moved forward up to three million dollars. My understanding is prior to the close of last 
fiscal year, the police made that purchase. So okay. the three million dollars was no longer needed for the radio since the radios was made purchased oh, with other existing available budget before okay. the close of the fiscal year. Okay. Well, that's actually good. Then. Yeah. So okay. there's more money. <laughs> okay. Okay. Uh, Thank you. Sure. Appreciate it. All right. Um, Councilmember Harris Spencer. Okay, uh, first of all, I want to thank our veterans. Uh, we owe you a debt of gratitude. I am sorry that the city has not fulfilled the um, agreement. I agree with you. I thank you for uh, quoting that language. Um, this is very serious. Uh, when, when the city took on this building, we, the city made a, a, a deal to maintain the building. I have had the opportunity to spend actually many days at the veterans building. I was just there this past Veterans Day. Um, I've been there when you have events uh, where the kitchen could have been used, where we have veterans and their families, and it would be cost efficient to allow you to cook for our veterans. It's not just house you, it's actually let, feed you too. And you had that opportunity before when you had a commercial kitchen. You, you don't have that opportunity now. And it's, it's really sad from my perspective um, I am very grateful that you've also stepped up and working with our new director, Smith, to have the meeting so that we have now this conversation. But I do support um, the baseline. In regards to the bar, I appreciate that it could uh, bring in additional revenue for rental purposes. I'm not sure where you are, where the veterans are in regards to asking for that. I kind of feel like they're. Um, not asking for everything necessarily because it's been so tight that the city has uh, really not given them, you know, they've had to really beg to get attention. Um, and I have been in the building, honestly, many times. Um, and as one of the speakers said, if you don't have hot water in the bathrooms, really, that's gotta be against every code. And this goes to why we actually have a serious problem in regards to maintaining our buildings for our community members. Um, uh, but I do, but I do support um, allocating up to the additional 750,000 from the baseline, and letting uh, the veterans work with staff of exactly how they would want to spend that money. In regards to you know where's this money going to come from? If you watch our consent items regularly, you will see millions of dollars get spent with their, without any discussion. Um, so so there is money, especially for uh, this usage. It's completely well founded. And, and I'm honestly confident, too, that our staff has the ability to work with um, our veterans and possibly not be anywhere near the 750. Maybe it would be closer. Uh, but I, do, I would like to allocate up to that extra 750,000 from the baseline uh, to give you all the opportunity to, to honestly meet your needs and the needs of the families of our veterans and our community members. It's important that we as a community support you. Thank you. Um, I would actually like some staff clarification sure. if I could ask for it. This issue of hot water has come up, and I think I may have raised it um, the first time we discussed this, but it was in one of my questions that staff responded to, and actually it was a very good response. So um, Ms. Smith or Mr. Billington or both of you, whoever wants to address, um, how long has it been since there has not been hot water in the Veterans Building? Thank you, Madam Mayor, for the question. Um, the building never was plumbed to have hot and cold water to the hand washing sinks in the bathroom. So they're not being hot water to the hand washing sinks is not a sign of disrepair. 
It was by design never brought there. The um, industrial sinks in a few of the bathrooms had hot water. Um, and so when the kitchen uh, became non-functional and I believe there was disrepair to the pipes to those industrial sinks, not the hand-washing sinks, the um, last water uh, heater that was ever at the building was removed. So the current state is that there is, there is water to the hand-washing sinks. It's always only been cold. Um, what we're putting forth um, is a creative solution that uses on-demand electric hot water heating that will take the cold plumbed water already to the hand-washing sinks, route it through an electric hot water heater, and plumb it back to the sink. So we would be bringing hot water to bathroom hand-washing sinks that have never had that before. And I just want to send a shout out to our facilities manager, Mike was, Billington, because as I understand, he thought really creatively once that problem was, was discovered and the fact that the pipes that are there now are in the wall, and so you can't get, I mean, you have to go open concrete walls to get to them. So I just wanted that. I mean, it is a problem, but it wasn't a problem that just started recently. But now we've got a good solution, I think, at hand. Councilmember Harry Spencer, back to you. Uh, so I appreciate that uh, the building was constructed in 1929, so I, I think we all know that there are many older buildings in the city that we have uh, brought hot water to in the bathrooms during uh, all of those years. <laughs> but I did make a motion. Oh, that was a motion. I haven't made my comments yet. Um, so, um, but I'll note your, your motion. Um, who wants to speak next? Because I'm... Um, we, we haven't heard from Councilmember Vell, Councilmember Jensen, myself, and I don't know if the Vice Mayor wanted to say anything more, but okay, Councilmember uh, Jensen, please. Thank you. I um, do have a couple of questions, um, and I just was, as we talked, as we've heard, um, the commercial kitchen would be valuable for, um, for use by the public, and so I'm wondering how, and by the veterans, of course, I'm wondering whether as you mentioned, there there also may be uses for ARPD uh, for a commercial kitchen. But um, are we actually currently renting out the Veterans Building for public events? Yes, um, the Veterans Building is um, rented, obviously not the kitchen, but um, there's uh, uh, the main auditorium as well as a room on the third floor and first floor that is rented out kind of similar to recreation facilities and it's on um, ARPD's uh, pricing list. Is there any, um, do you have any idea what the annual revenue is? I do not have that. Perhaps um, Assistant, Assistant City Manager Wooldridge has a knowing uh, look. And also as former Recreation Parks Director, she might know a little something about that. Please. Thank you, Mayor. Um, the Veterans Building is very intermittently rented out. It's not a high rental facility for uh, Recreation Parks Department. Um, there are, um, it is on the user fee schedule. There's a church that uses it regularly um, every Sunday. Uh, but other than that, uh, most groups come and take a look and it doesn't really tend to suit their needs. Um, and so it's, it, I do not have the exact dollar amount off the top of my head, but I wanna say it's more in like the 20, less than $20,000 a year range. It's not as popular as Harrison Park or no, Harrison Center or one of the... Yeah, that right. uh, Harrison Center is rented often rented on weekends as well as some other ones like Cruzy Park. And Which is in Lincoln Park, is that what you're thank referring you, to? Yes. Yeah. Um, thank you. 
Now, I, I have a question about the um, timelines, about the schedule. And so, but with regard to the commercial kitchen, is there an urgency or is there some reason that it would be um, important to, to if, if that project was approved and direction was given, important to do it for the 23-24 budget year and budget it for that time period? Um, Immediately? Um, I think that our veterans would say it's very urgent. So we would, if, if funding was um, appropriated for such a purpose, we would um, likely start that work as part of that energy conservation grant. And the reason why I say that is that is a grant um, that we will be looking um, to use um, the voucher component, <laughs> um, which means procuring equipment. So if the heating and the hot on-demand hot water heaters don't total 130,000, we would, and the kitchen was approved, we would begin to purchase the appliances for the kitchen with those dollars. Um, so, I mean, the urgency is, you know, again, dictated sort of by, by um, the veterans' use for it. I think one of the limiting factors, obviously, would be um, council's direction tonight to fund it, and then, of course, um, our facilities staffing capacity to execute not only that, but the, the other listed projects that we've added to the next two years. Right, so, so, and I see in the baseline plan that the roofing repair, window repair, and interior paint are all not, um, those wouldn't happen until 2029 through 2031. So just pointing out that the commercial kitchen would be happening before the inside of the building was painted and before the internal, the inside windows were repaired and before the roofing was repaired. Um, and so um, I think that was my final question. Oh, I, one more question. The, the clean and restore furniture, I thought I had heard that that was being removed or not a part of the plan that the veterans didn't want to do that? The restoration of the furniture, um, not so much that they didn't want to do that, but that they were going to be doing that themselves. themselves. Okay, so that part, that would be removed from the, from the um, proposal. Correct, that's, there's no, it's not included in the baseline facility plan. Thank you, I just, um, I appreciate your report and the comments, and I, I agree that this is really necessary for veterans. I have a little bit of experience here. I was the facility mm -hmm. manager for the um, 200 Grand Street Oakland Veterans Building for mm -hmm. a number of years, and similar, well, probably even, it's older than the Alameda Veterans Building, and it had many more issues, many more, it was deteriorating much worse than the Alameda Building, and I went myself before Oakland City Council many times to get things like, um, to just have the urinals that were falling off the walls replaced, and that took over two years to replace the urinals in the restroom. So I, I think that um, I appreciate that these, these issues weren't addressed, that the facility maintenance wasn't addressed by the city, and I think you know it's been pointed out that we need to do this. We need to take care of this, and I, it's not, I could, I'll talk more at some point in the future about how bad it was at the Oakland Veterans Building, but these buildings are established for veterans. They're like in Oakland, the Alameda Building was, was transferred, was from the county to the city with specific requirements, and we need to meet those requirements and we need to support the veterans. So thank you for the presentation. Uh, Vice Mayor Desai. Oh yeah, um, I just wanna say, um, you know, uh, the Veterans Building uh, is certainly uh, an important um, landmark in the city of Alameda. And I remember 
going to the Veterans Building way back in the um, mid-80s. <laughs> Enjoyed my time at the Veterans Building. Um, so, uh, you know, it, this is a tough decision. Um, you know, um, fortunately, you know, Alameda's um, fiscal position is, um, in the recent past, has been well enough such that we're able to um, attract, you know, create an incentive program for police, or we're, we've been able to set aside funds for um, uh, um, swimming pools. Um, but I, I do worry about, um, you know, making sure that that uh, we begin to tug a little tighter on the um, on the fiscal um, um, uh, discipline. Um, because while things are, are relatively um, well now, you know, we, we, we really need to begin to plan. Um, uh, so for that reason, I, I am, uh, with all due respect to Council Member uh, uh, Herrera Spencer, I, I'm, I'm not sure I can support um, the, the option with that goes to $750,000, honestly. Um, uh, and, and even um, in supporting option two, which would be the $547,000, um, I, I do so with um, hesitancy, but, but I will support it. And that, that was the reason why I asked if this was a trade-off between, you know, uh, fortunately it's not. It's not a trade-off between police radios and, and, and this, so I misread um, that slide deck. Um, but um, I will support, uh, you know, if there's a motion by someone, um, I would be more than happy to support option two recommendation. I'd like to hear from, thank you for that. I'd like to hear from Councilmember Vela, who's got her hand up. She hasn't had a chance to speak on this item. So, Councilmember Vela, go ahead. Yeah, I, so I, I appreciate the, the work that's been done on this. Um, I did have some questions. Um, one is, uh, the type of events, uh, you know, I can understand that, that the building has been um, underutilized. Um, with the addition of the commercial kitchen, are we ex would we expect to recover uh, a certain, what would the cost recovery be um, on that? How long do we think it would take for us to, to look at cost recovery Direction. on uh, half a million dollars? Or 750,000? Um, yeah, so just for a point of clarification, um, option two, which includes the commercial kitchen and the restoration of the floors, is 447000 That does not include the bar restoration. The bar restoration mm -hmm. would be an additional seven fifty on top of the five forty seven. just to clarify I, that. I'm asking half a million dollars. For the half a million, yep, for the half a million. So um, my preliminary conversations with Director Long to date is that the Parks Department themselves would have use for the commercial kitchen, which wouldn't necessarily be revenue generating, but would enhance program offerings. Um, he um, has, the, the kitchen at the O Club rents at $155 um, per event. Um, commercial kitchens generally rent around $50 per hour. Um, we've not given Director Long's, I would say, apprehensions on the marketability of the commercial kitchen um, at the veteran site. Um, aren't really in a position to project what that demand and therefore revenue would be, Council Member Vela. 
Okay. My second question is with, uh, I'm, sorry. with I'm so, so sorry. Um, Assistant City Manager Wildridge wanted to interject something. So hold okay. that thought, Councilmember Vella. Sorry to interrupt, Councilmember no, Vella. I just wanted to add to that. I was I was in text conversations with um, Director Long and um, we, we, we both think at most we could the city could recover uh, $20,000 a year um, with this kitchen. So that is about 20 to 25 years to amortize out the, the um, $500,000. And, and just for clarification, if it wasn't already clear, um, Director Long is Justin Long, who is the newish Director of Parks and Recreation, so overseeing these facilities. Okay, back to you, Councilmember Vela. And then for the... For the interior painting, I know um, there were comments around the, the or I saw in the timeline, um, the, the window repair as well as um, interior paint and, and looking at outer years relative to that. Is there a need for window repair or we're projecting that there will be a need? Thank you. I had that question too. Director Smith? Um, Director Billington. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to pass that one to our facilities manager, Mike Billington. Come on up, Mr. Billington. Thank you. This is the man with the creative thinking cap, but so does, so does Director Smith. You're, you're a good team. So welcome. What do we need to know? Um, <laughs> and if you get a little closer to the microphone, we can all hear you. Thank you. Um, having the windows in the, in the, I think this is 29, 30 year, that's the year we project that they're going to need some significant repairs, uh, that we're going to need to do some modifications to make sure that the building's integrity is preserved. Currently, there are some maintenance items that we should address, but just on a couple of them, so we won't need to do the larger project until a few years down the line. And, and it's the same true for the roof, then, that it would be projected, uh, that there's nothing uh, major that would need to happen with it. It's not like we're delaying work that's needed currently. Is that correct? That is correct. Okay, thank you. Um, so the reason that I, I ask those questions is I, I certainly want to maintain the health and, and safety relative to the building. Um, my other kind of question is just generally, you know, I think we've one of the things that we put forward is to when we when we do window repairs and things like that is to make buildings more efficient. That's certainly in line with our, our climate action plans. Um, but as we're looking at paint, um, you know, my hope is is that we're remediating any lead paint lead paint um, that exists in these and lead ha lead hazards that may exist in these buildings, especially if we're thinking about renting them out to to programs uh, and services with young children. So, um, you know, those are the sort of things that that would you know I would certainly prioritize over um, you know items that have a high price tag, but but uh, lower opportunity for cost recovery. Um, you know, I my my family um, came to Alameda because of the military, because of the Navy. Um, I come from a family with, with proud military service and, and many veterans. I support um, certainly making sure that this building has hot water and the, the, uh, the necessary uh, work that needs to be done. Um, relative to the uh, the flooring, I would support uh, fixing the flooring and adding that um, and making sure that that's um, funded and phased in sooner uh, rather than later. Um, I do think that that's something that, that would be worthwhile. Uh, but relative to the commercial kitchen, that's something that I would like to discuss relative to um, the the broader uh, mid-year budget conversations and then possibly relative to 
uh, funding measures. Um, so for these sort of high ticket items that are coming mid-year, my, my request has been for some time that we actually uh, fold them into the mid-year process um, or uh, to the regular budget process rather than making these amends as one-offs because we can keep doing this one-off and saying, yeah, that sounds great. Many of these projects um, are worthy of, of funding. I think the question is, when do they get funded and with what funds? Um, so how do we get there? I do have concerns when we start dipping into the general fund for significant, I, I would consider anything over um, you know, a few hundred thousand dollars that is not currently planned as a, as a modification uh, significant. And so those conversations I would wanna have as part of a, a larger context uh, with regard to the mid-year. So um, that would be my, my preference, um, that we understand what the trade-offs are relative to the budget. I think uh, Vice Mayor made a, a, had some good questions about, does this mean that we're not getting uh, necessary equipment, things like that? Um, it's really hard for me to tell and to, I think it's hard to have a transparent conversation about the budget when we're making these sort of um, adjustments out, out of sync with the uh, budget process. Thank you. And Councilman Rivella, if I could just ask, you referenced that you would support the floor restoration. So we know that um, we already have funds repurposed from fiscal year 20, 31, 32 HVAC project for the hardwood floor restoration in the main auditorium, 67,000. So are you then referring to those two floors under option two, the billiard room restoration and the hardware, blah, the um, hardwood floor restoration in the auxiliary auditorium, the two of which would total 63,000? Yes, I, I think, it, in, in my opinion, I think if we could just do all of the floors at the same time or perhaps find a way to do, um, you know, to do them sooner rather than later, that would be my preference. Yeah, and capture economies of scale, I would imagine. Exactly. Okay, all right, anything further for you? Okay, let me slip in my comments. I know people have lots of thoughts. Um, thank you to everyone who um, who spoke tonight and um, shared your views. And of course, thank you for the veterans. And my previous comments also hold that there's a lot of way we can thank veterans, and one of them is by making sure they remain housed. Um, so my feeling is I... Um, I understand this building is a historic building. It's, it's served veterans a long time. When we look at our budget, we have to be realists, and we have to look at both our needs and our wants, and, and absolutely the health and safety of the building, and I'm just really pleased to see the very creative and energy efficient way we're gonna bring hot water in and um, really bring that building up to, up to um, environmental, current environmental standards. But we have to look at wants and needs. And the commercial kitchen, when I read the staff report, and I put a lot of stock into what staff tells us, they know these facilities. One of the concerns is also that the kitchen is on the ground floor and the auditoriums that would be used for um, events are a floor above it. And so either people are gonna be climbing up narrow stairs with their trays or they're gonna use an elevator that's very small. And I didn't see a re um, replacement elevator in here and I'm not sure that there's the space for a larger elevator shaft and uh, assistant manager, uh, city manager Wilders is shaking her head so I'm gonna take that as a no. What I would support, though, in the um, uh, option, and this is an option one, is 
the staging kitchen renovations because I do think it's nice when you're having meetings or gathering to be able to heat up food, serve coffee, tea, dessert, what have you. And um, I also do think that um, the, again, the city does not have unlimited funds. And so we also have the O Club, the former officers club at our former military base. And, you know, it is on the other side of town, but this is Alameda, people. It's not Los Angeles. Um, and then there are other facilities like um, the Harrison Center at Lincoln Park. So I would like to see, as was suggested in the, um, in the, the staff report, I'd like to see our efforts go toward improving that commercial kitchen to really make it viable. And I think, you know, lots of the, the different uses that were suggested by different speakers could take place there. Um, so, uh, yeah, and as far as um, parking at the Civic Center garage, thank you. Um, there is There is absolutely that. And I also, um, well, I'm, I don't even need to go there because I believe the, the, the veterans have dropped the request for the bar, so I, I don't need to explain um, my um, opposition to it. But, you know, we, we need to be good stewards of our public funds. I think we can do a lot of things. I can think we can really improve this um, beautiful building. I do agree with my colleague, Council Member Vela, that if we're doing the floors, in the main auditorium, let's go ahead and do those other two as well. By the time you bring the equipment in and you do everything, I just had a floor restored in my 1881 Victorian, um, that you might as well just do it do it once, and it's not that much more. So um, those are the, and I, I think um, Council, uh, Vice Mayor Daysock, I think I'm, no, 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 I, I, I know, I can see. I've got eyes on the back of my head. That um, yeah, the council member, Harris Spencer, I'm going to you next. Um, but anyway, Vice Mayor Daysock, I'm just saying, I think I aligned with you with um, some of your concerns, some of your concerns, not all of them. Council member, Harris Spencer. Thank you, Mayor. I think I heard support from three council members for the kitchen. Uh, so I'm happy to uh, amend my motion. And I actually misunderstood the numbers. I thought it was a total of 750,000, not uh, in addition. Um, and so I would move to support the baseline plus option two, which uh, um, includes uh, the commercial kitchen and adds, uh, I believe, 547,000 from the general fund. Okay, and a second to that motion? I'm I will second that motion point and point out, um, as we learned before, that the there is that would be less the amount for the um, for the furniture, which I'm looking for. That may not be in the. Is that is that was that taken out already of the baseline? Correct. Okay. Thanks. Right. Then I'll second the motion. Thanks. Okay, so um, we have a second from uh, Councilmember Jensen, uh, Councilmember Harris Spencer. And I wanted to thank uh, Member Jensen for seconding the motion, but I also want to thank her for reminding me. I want to thank all veterans for actually refinishing the furniture to help s have the city save money. That's a big, uh, you know, uh, ask, and I appreciate you all stepping up to do that. Okay, any further comments? Yeah. Um, Vice Mayor Daysock. Yeah. You know, I, 
similar to uh, council member, former vice mayor Vela, um, you know, certainly uh, my family uh, comes from Navy family, so we're here because of, uh, well, my dad retired um, and we moved from uh, accessible military base there to, to Alameda because he retired. Um, so, you know, uh, respecting and recognizing the contributions of veterans is certainly uh, very important, not just to me, but, you know, our family. Um, and frankly, on a personal level, like I said, in the 80s, uh, uh, the, um, the, it was, I benefited a lot from the, from the veterans. Um, I do, um, you know, I, 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 I have hesitancy about, about, you know, the overall cost issues, but, um, but, I, but I think on this one, you know, I, th I, I think, you know, looking forward, um, even, you know, in the mid-year budget, um, I, I, I agree with the veterans that this has to be a priority because it's been um, uh, in abeyance for, for far too long. Um, so I will support um, the uh, motion um, by Council Member Spencer and, and seconded by um, uh, Council Member Jensen. All right, um, I think we've had a foreshadowing of the vote, but let's let's take a roll call vote, please, Madam Clerk. Vice Mayor Desad. Aye. Councilmember Spencer. Aye. Jensen. Aye. Vela. I'm going to abstain. My request is that we uh, hold on the five hundred thousand until on the commercial kitchen until we have the mid-year, so we see what the trade-offs are. Mayor Ziashkraf. I'm with Councilmember Vela. I think it is um, more practical and sensible to wait for the mid-year budget. But um, I, yes, Director Smith. Yeah. If I just offer a clarifying point. So as noted right. in the staff report, tonight we're just seeking direction um, and that any actual budget amendment following tonight's direction would be brought forth as part of the mid-year. So if the direction tonight is to, <laughs> if the direction tonight is to proceed with option two, we would be coming forth with a $547,000 request for general fund appropriations as part of the mid-year. Is that correct, right? Understood. Thank you, for, and thank you for all your hard work on this. And oh, just yes, for the public, that motion carries three to two yes. with two abstentions. Yes, thank it you. does. Thank, thank you. you. Okay, nope, we don't applaud. Um, but what we do do is take a break. We are way over time for a break. It is almost um, 5 to 10. We will come back at 10-10. Uh, so 15-minute break, 10-10. Everybody come back, please.
Everyone in the audience, please take their seats. Okay, we are resuming. Madam Clerk, would you introduce the next? Sir and Madam, will you um, please uh, take your seats or? Thank you. Okay. 7B oh. is a recommendation to accept an update on o Oakland Alameda Estuary Bridge Project. Preparation and of design and feasibility oh. studies are exempt from environmental review under California Environmental Quality Act Guidelines Section 15262, Planning, Building, and Transportation. Oh, sorry. I don't know why I read that. Good evening, Ms. Wheeler. Will you introduce yourself, please? Yes, thank you. Good evening, Mayor Izzy Ashcraft and Council Members. I'm Rochelle Wheeler, Senior Transportation Coordinator with the City of Alameda. And tonight I'm happy to be providing you all with an update on the status of our work on the Oakland Alameda Estuary Bridge Project. Uh, this is an informational item to give you an overview of the work we've completed over the last 16 months since the Council authorized us in July 2022 to engage a consultant to prepare a scoping document for the bridge project. Um, I'll also provide an overview of our planned next steps. As you know, Oakland and Alameda are at the center of a growing metropolitan region. MTC projects that Oakland and Alameda will grow by about 230,000 people by 2040, and most of this growth will be in downtown Oakland and in West Alameda. And yet today, this is our existing crossing for people walking and biking in this western end of Alameda. This is Caltrans's State Route 260, the Posey Tube, with a three-foot-wide, two-way bike and pedestrian pathway that extends underground for almost a full mile. It's deficient and inequitable and definitely not ADA accessible. Um, most people do not willingly use this route. It's usually a last resort for people without other options. Right now, about 50,000 cars travel each day through this study area shown in the red box between Western Alameda and downtown Oakland. The growth I just mentioned will increase that even more. And this map shows that all of those cars are traveling through areas identified as either environmental justice communities shown with the dash lines or equity priority communities um, in purple or both. These cars have obvious health and safety impacts to these communities. Providing improved walk bike access will reduce some vehicle trips and the impacts that come with these trips like air pollution, traffic collisions, et cetera. It will also give everyone options besides driving and reduce greenhouse gas emissions. The work that Council authorized in 2022 with 1.55 million in grant funding and no city funds is a type of scoping or planning study called a project initiation document or a PID. It's a document that defines and evaluates the project purpose, cost, and schedule. It lays out the expected level of effort for the next phases, including the environmental issues, permitting, and right-of-way needs. And this phase also starts the outreach phase. It's also a requirement for many grant funding sources to have a completed PID document. Importantly, it is not used to identify a preferred alignment or a bridge design or the type of bridge. As part of the PID phase, um, last year we established a technical advisory committee, also called a TAC, and a combined stakeholder and equity advisory committee to make sure that we're developing the project in collaboration with the input of community members and stakeholders. And we invited a wide range of agencies and interest groups as shown on this slide. We have held four TAC meetings and three stakeholder equity advisory committee meetings um, to engage these groups on our work, which I'm describing today. And we also developed a standalone project webpage shown here to keep the public at large informed and provide input opportunities. 
So an early task in this um, phase we're in was to develop the project purpose and need statement, which will guide the direction of the project as it moves through the environmental phase. And we used input from both the TAC and the Stakeholder Equity Advisory Committee to develop the purpose um, that you see here, which I won't read, but I will say in summary, the purpose is to address the problem of the estuary as a barrier and improve multimodal connections between Alameda, Oakland and beyond, including um, connections to jobs, transit, housing, and recreational opportunities in these areas, and to reduce greenhouse gas emissions and their impacts, especially on equity priority communities. We defined the project study area. Um, we started looking at the entire estuary west of the Park Street bit, Bridge, um, and then focused in on the area shown in the yellow box, which is between the edge of um, the port area called Reach 6, which is an area east of their turning basin, and at the shipyards in Alameda, which is um, across the estuary from Estuary Park in Oakland. Um, we identified the constraints. This is a highly constrained area, as you can see in red, the existing easements and tubes and reach six. And we have to work around all of these constraints, which limit where we can locate a bridge. I'm going to skip that slide for now. Um, so within this project area, we developed a large number of possible alternative locations with conceptual designs. Um, I do want to note, because um, so, sometimes it's not clear, that all the bridges under consideration would be movable bridges, um, like our other Alameda bridges, um, and not fixed in place bridges. Um, in developing the alternatives, we were looking at balancing three key considerations. Um, one is designing for maximum usage. Um, we want to design a crossing that is most attractive to people walking and biking, which means it should be easy to find, have great connections to where people want to go, and have minimal climbs or ramping up to cross the water. People walking and biking won't use a very tall bridge as much as they would use a lower bridge. We also want to design it to be compatible with waterfront uses. We want to avoid massive bridge structures that block views of the water and take up valuable public waterfront uses. Lower bridges are easier to integrate into our waterfronts. We also need to balance our maritime traffic needs. Um, obviously, the Coast Guard needs are paramount, and we're working very closely with them. But there are also lots of recreational boaters um, using the estuary, and lower bridges will impact their free-flowing movement. Um, which means taller bridges that allow more boats to pass under the bridge are better for boaters. So as you can see, there are conflicting needs here. And um, there is no perfect solution that meets the needs of all, so we've really striven to find um, a balance between them or kind of a sweet spot. Um, so with all of these considerations in mind, plus all the constraints I mentioned earlier, we have developed 12 bridge alternatives with a mix of heights, locations, spans, and ramps as shown on this slide. And in each corridor shown in the different colors, we included a high and a low bridge across the estuary. Um, we developed a screening criteria to evaluate the 12 alternatives against each other as a method to narrow the number of alternatives that would be studied in the PID since we couldn't carry forward um, a huge number of them given the scope and budget of the PID. The result is um, three alternatives that scored the highest as shown here. Um, within the full study area and shown here more in close-up. Um, these are the three alternatives that are now being evaluated in detail for the PID document and just a few things that they have in common is they're all um, 40 feet off the water, they all have high expected usage, and they have good connections to civic open spaces. Um, 
I'm going to now just show some sketches. Um, these are sketch level renderings of these three conceptual alternatives. Um, we have not designed the bridge, as I noted earlier. Um, so as, um, as I mentioned, we worked with the TAC and the Stakeholder Adv Equity Advisory Committee throughout this process, sharing and getting input on everything I've just shared. Tonight, uh, we have heard lots of great input. Um, some of the key feedback we've heard is shown on this slide. And just to summarize, we did hear a lot of support for the project and that it would greatly enhance the Bay Trail connections. Um, we also heard concerns from boaters and marinas and from new waterfront residents about um, view obstructions and also about crime concerns. Um, we are at the very early planning stage. You can see that we're at the PID phase, which is shown in green on this project schedule. We have many more phases to come, but this is a critical step right now needed to move the project forward. The future phases, which are currently un unfunded, include um, PEAED, which is the environmental phase, and includes extensive community input. And includes the PSNE, which is plan specifications and estimates, which is developing the plans, and then construction, which would um, start in uh, 2031 at the very earliest if everything rolls along seamlessly. So next steps. Um, coming up, we anticipate completing the PID document by April next year. Uh, we're also engaging with other agencies to determine who will sponsor the project moving forward and who will be the environmental lead agencies. Uh, we'll be expanding in the next um, few months our public engagement, including meeting with additional individual interest groups and attending larger public events to get the word out and solicit input. Um, and importantly, we're working with Oakland, which is a key partner in this project, um, and countywide and regional partners on developing an implementation strategy, um, which really will identify how does this regionally important project, this large complex project, move forward. We, we know that Alameda cannot do this project by itself and won't be the lead through all of these phases. Um, we believe Caltrans is the owner of the existing and, as I mentioned, deficient transportation facility in this area is key in all of this implementation, and we've been talking with them. Uh, we are exploring the idea of legislation to tie a future bridge to the Caltrans state route, um, Route 260, to link the two projects together and obligate Caltrans to implement the project. At the same time, we're also looking at other options. Um, Ms. Wheeler, how much time do you think you need to complete your report? Because like we can extend. Less than a minute. Less than a minute. Shall we give Ms. Wheeler two minutes? Um, and do we have, we have Councilmember Vela? Um, yes. Just there. behind the presentation. Okay. Um, we would need a motion and supported by Ford to give two minutes. So moved. I have a motion by Councilmember Harris Spencer, seconded by Councilmember Jensen. Um, Madam Clerk, may we have a roll call vote, please? Vice Mayor Desai? Yes. Councilmember Herrera Spencer? Aye. Jensen? Aye. Bella? Aye. Mayor Ashcraft? Aye. That carries by five ayes. All right. Two more minutes. Thank you so much. Of course. Um, so we are also looking at um, Caltrans's own procedures for adding a facility to the highway system in addition to possible legislation. Um, we're also exploring what funding should be applied for and when and um, as feasible, you know, would be seeking that funding for next phases. Um, so with that, we have a lot more info online um, at estuarybridge.org, and my contact is here for the public. Uh, with that, I'm happy to answer any questions. Thank you. 
Thank you very much. Um, before we go to public comment, do I have clarifying questions from the council? Councilmember Harris Spencer. Thank you, Mayor. Uh, thank you, uh, Project Manager Wheeler, for this report. <laughs> um, I want to ask so, when I looked at the report, the only concrete numbers I could find of actual usage were back in 2016, and it was 117 bike and 25 walk uh, overall from between 6 a.m. and 9 p.m. So that's both ways. So then, you know, to me, that's about seven, 75 people uh, using it. Is, when are we going to get more uh, an update on the number of usage? So the um, yeah, that's a great question, um, and it's important to know what we would anticipate the usage would be for this bridge. It will be important for getting funding for the bridge. Um, those numbers are users of the Posey tube, the, the three-foot-wide pathway in the Posey tube, which we know um, people generally do not like to use it at all. Um, and um, so with this PID project, we are developing, um, expanding on the model that we created in 2021 and updating it, including looking at um, travel patterns that may have changed with COVID, uh, new regional um, estimates um, through countywide and the regional um, countywide travel, uh, the, sorry, the regional and countywide travel demand models that are, have been, are getting updated with the latest on housing and job, um, jobs that are anticipated um, for the region and for the county. And so this travel demand model is what is projecting what the usage would be. And it did look at some of those base numbers in order to develop the model and then also to calibrate the model. But now what we're looking at is how do we project that forward to 2030, which is the year we're looking at construction. So that's when we're looking at possible usage. Right. But 2016 is right. Uh, how many years ago? It's like seven, seven years ago. I might be wrong, but 2030, right, is seven from now. Uh, so I'm obviously wrong. But um, we don't have any more numbers. We just have the numbers from 2016. That was the last time someone actually went out and counted the people using that bridge. Uh, using the Posey tube. Oh, using that's the correct. tube. Correct. And we don't. We don't feel like that's a good um, metric for who would actually use a bridge because of the condition of that facility. Okay, uh, do you, uh, the, the number, the cost to build it, I saw 200 million. Is that still staff's estimate of what the cost would be? The PID is, <clears throat> is going to estimate, give new estimates. That's also one of the goals of this document is it will estimate both the usage and also the um, update those cost estimates. Okay, but 200 million was the last number I saw that for the cost. That was the number in 2021. You're not yes. suggesting the cost has gone down, are you? No. Okay, okay, uh, okay, and the, to operate at 3.5 million a year? I that saw that. That number will also be updated, but that is a 2021 number, yes. Okay, so more than likely it would be more than 3.5 million to operate annually. Possibly. Okay, and it's regional monies, but could the city of Alameda get any of that money and use it for anything else? Um, I would say probably not. This The money will probably be dedicated to very large infrastructure projects, possibly bridge projects. Um, so, um, you know, there are a lot of different funding sources out there, but um, generally when we are have been looking at these funding sources, most of the sources um, are not sources that we have thought of other Alameda transportation projects that we could apply for. Okay, uh, so 
I think I've heard that there's no city money being spent on this, but uh, could you clarify when we have staff working on it, how does that work out? Um, so we are, um, yes, that there's definitely staff time spent on this, and so a portion of staff time is, is working on this project to implement it. Does that money get reimbursed from the county, the time that staff spends on it? No, it does not. Does staff keep track of their hours working on it? No, we do not. So do we have an estimate of how many staff members work on this? We have, do you have any idea? Um, well, there's different staff members giving input. I'm the primary staff person. We, I'm the lead, and there's at certain times uh, other projects and managers are giving input, um, but um, there's no other staff person that's project managing this project. Is there a reason why staff doesn't keep track of how much time they spend on a project like this? Uh, City Manager Ott, would you like to take that? Yeah, sure. We don't typically, I mean, there are some projects, some like um, project managers in public works that bill their time to different CIP projects. It's just not something that we do for transportation planning. If there's a grant or something that requires it, we might do that. It's just not, it's not our standard practice to do that unless it's required <laughs> specifically because of the funding source or to allocate it to a particular CIP project needed. So like public works will actually build their time to that and it's just not something we've typically done. I mean, transportation planning, they do, a, they work, collaborate a lot. So if Rochelle's out, someone else might take the lead and so it's just not our standard practice. Okay, thank you. Um, I have a follow-up question. We do have some numbers about the uh, the projected estimate of how many um, auto trips per day per work week, I believe, would be reduced by the um, the construction of this bridge. Yeah. So um, in 2021, that study showed that um, between five and six thousand um, bicycle and pedestrian trips. Um, would use this facility and that that would result in about per week about 40,000 fewer auto trips um, traveling um, on Alameda streets and on Oakland Chinatown streets and and also um, other parts of Oakland so that was how many per week 40,000 40, and was that the work week Monday through Friday um, I believe it would be the whole week the whole week okay. including weekends all right thank you for that Councilmember Harry Spencer. Thank you. Uh, in regards to that question, which is a good question, um, has there been any update though of usage post-COVID? That is what we're evaluating in the PID, um, and we are looking at, given we have more refined um, information about the bridge alternatives and these um, updated uh, projections for job and housing growth in the region, we're updating the numbers, and given the COVID you know, possible changes in, um, in, in travel patterns. We're looking at all of that as a part of this phase, and we will have that when this phase is complete. So the numbers that we have are just, they're all pre-COVID, they don't have the impact of COVID and work from home and greater, uh, you know, uh, reduction in use of BART and things like that? Uh, they don't have the changes from COVID, which you're correct, which could include changes in commute patterns, but also we are seeing things like the um, tubes just as congested as they were before COVID and our freeways um, as congested. So um, it's very possible, we believe, that you know people are maybe not making the work trips, but they're making other trips. Um, 
so there's still a large number of trips Mayor, being made. Oh, I'm sorry, um, City Manager, I, of course. I was just going to add, too, that something that the experts have to look at is this isn't going to happen today, right? It's going to happen in seven to ten years. Assuming this, we get the funding, right? There's obviously a lot of what-ifs, but so they also have to interpret, you know, what's going to be, what is, what's the commute pattern going to be in seven to ten years? And so those will be some of the things that they'll factor in and trying to develop a model um, using lots of different data, not just the traffic counts. Thank you. So Councilor in regards Hurst. to crime... I'm sorry, may I continue? Yes, I was trying to call on you. <laughs> Thank you. Um, so in regards to crime, though, I, I know people are not actually driving into Oakland and parking their car because they're afraid of it not being there or being damaged when they leave. Um, do, does staff think that uh, crime only impacts uh, people that are driving there and not people that are riding bikes or walking? No. Okay, any other clarifying questions? Vice Mayor Desai. Yes, hi. Um, <clears throat> granted, you know, I know this is way too preliminary, but it just caught my attention that the three conceptual drawings that you have, each of them are, um, um, what do you call the, the type of um, uh, bridge? Um, suspension, suspension um, bridges. Oh. Is there something about the setting that requires this kind of a bridge um, as opposed to, oh, so it was no. just, okay. Those are just conceptual ideas okay. and yeah, the bridge type in that is a, is a bascule bridge, so open, would, would open like the park, park and street and high street bridge. But no, there's nothing that would require that. Okay. Uh, yeah, and I, I mentioned it because, you know, when you think about the bridges that we do have, granted, they're a completely different era. But they seem to have a very low profile that's kind of very elegantly, you know, placed within the setting. Um, of course, this is all conceptual and incredibly preliminary, but it did catch my attention. Thank you. Okay. Any other clarifying questions? Councilmember Jensen. Were there any models or any other examples, either locally or nationally or internationally, that you reviewed of a pedestrian bike bridge? Yeah, definitely. I mean, we're looking at, uh, for in, in two ways, we're looking for other models. One is for our model, our travel demand model. Like, what have we seen with other bicycle and pedestrian bridges? And so we've looked at some examples, for example, um, in Portland, Oregon, where they built a bridge, and how much ridership do they have, and what were the, um, you know, kind of, what's the mix of people walking or biking, and, you know, just understanding what that facility use is like to help look and define what, um, our model would be. Um, and then while we're not designing the bridge yet, we're kind of always curious and interested about what other bridge designs are out there, how wide of spans they've been able to cross over, you know, other examples of bridges with um, uh, lots of maritime traffic. And um, those are all, you know, provide kind of different elements that are useful to look at, but it would, it's very hard to find a, a situation that's exactly like Alameda's that we could just purely replicate, but it's useful information. We're always on the lookout for that. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, Councilmember Horace Spencer. Thank you, Mayor. So we have a bike bridge, bike pedestrian bridge in Alameda Strait, and I appreciate Councilmember uh, Daysog's comment in regards to, you know, it does fit with our other bridges. Is there a reason why it can't be something like that, just straight across, and as opposed to these hoops? And, and I have heard complaints from the boaters and the marinas in regards to having these these designs and the impact on them. 
Um, that bridge is very low, close to the water, um, and it's in an area where there's very little maritime traffic compared to the area that we're looking at. So um, I think we feel like that bridge design would actually be too low um, for, which means if it's higher, it has to have more ramping and more curves to be able to get people up higher. So um, I think that um, uh, that design would not work well balancing all of the needs, like maritime and other needs, if it was such a low bridge um, in the western, in the west end. And how long is the distance then when you wrap around? I'm sorry, can you clarify? You know, when you include all your curves, what's the distance then that the bicyclists or pedestrians will have to go to get across? Um, it depends on how high the bridge is, because the higher it is, the more you have to spend time ramping up. Um, for the alternatives we're looking at now, um, I don't have that number on the tip of my tongue. I would say I think it is probably in the realm of um, probably about 2,500 to 3,000 feet. Vice Mayor Desai. Hey, quickly, um, is, will there be like not only paths for bicyclists and pedestrians, but I'm guessing this isn't obvious, but there will be also overlooks so people can kind of spend time on the bridge and, and you know, over the water? Um, absolutely, we would want to fit in as, as much of those kinds of elements as we could. And if, if you do, so does that mean that the, the part of the bridge that rises would be kind of be kind of separate from where people might be able to like spend time and fish or whatever? Oh wow, that's a very, <laughs> that's a question we haven't tackled yeah. yet about fishing. Um, uh, I think those people who are fishing would have to be lower to the water, so they definitely wouldn't be near the part that's raising, which is the kind of the highest part of the bridge. Okay, all right, thank you. Mm -hmm. And Councilmember Jensen. Thank you, um, that it also just occurred to me if people were, able or not to fish, but there would have to, the bridge would have to have some major barriers so that there was no potential for people jumping or diving or, um, you know, doing worse things off of the bridge, correct? Yes. Yeah. Councilmember Harris Benson. Could it be possible to include the cost of um, having this bridge be for cars and automobiles in addition to bikes and pedestrians? Um, that's a project that we are not pursuing right now for a variety of reasons, um, and it is a question that has come up, um, mainly because we have, um, well, we have the two tubes right there, and we have the three bridges, well, four bridges on the other side of the island, so we feel like there are a lot of ways for cars to get on and off the island already, um, and um, we... Um, putting a bridge um, somewhere, um, especially in the West End, would mean more, well, anywhere, would mean directing more traffic through neighborhoods that are in that area and directing more traffic through Oakland neighborhoods. And we're, through the Oakland Alameda Access Project and other efforts, really trying to reduce the amount of traffic that's, you know, on Oakland streets. And we don't believe that Oakland would support in fact, we know Oakland would not support a new auto bridge coming into, into there, and we don't believe that Alameda residents would support an auto bridge coming through their neighborhoods. 
Okay, so what I've heard is that when the two, when we could have an earthquake and the tubes would be damaged and that they would never be repaired, that whenever these tubes die, that that's it. Uh, is it staff's position then that uh, Caltrans would, in fact, we'd always have tubes there even after a you know, significant earthquake that damages them? I have, um, I have not heard Caltrans make that statement that they would not ever repair the tubes, um, so I'm not... Um, if that's true, I, I, I don't, I have not heard that. Um, and also, if I could just yeah. interject, we, um, I don't think that Ms. Wheeler is conversant on the tube um, architecture and any updates. This is just the bicycle pedestrian bridge, so I wouldn't want to ask her to speculate. So is that something that can be included in this report then? Yes, we can look into that, yeah. Thank you. Okay, Vice Mayor Desai. One more um, question. Has staff uh, con uh, considered um, the location of the uh, bike pedestrian bridge relative to a possible location of an underwater BART um, uh, plast so that they are done engineeringly in a fashion that they work together? Or, or, I mean, don't get in the way of each other. Don't get in the way of each other. Um, I think definitely uh, we would as both of the projects progress, we would look at that more closely. I think they're both a little bit too early of stages. Um, we have been at, I was at a presentation where there was a Link 21 presentation at the same time as mine, so we're definitely talking at the staff level. Thank you. Mm -hmm. All right. And Madam Clerk, do we have public comment? We do. All right. Let's have public comment. Um, there's nobody in person, so uh, remotely we have uh, Cindy Johnson. Welcome, Speaker Johnson. Good evening. I'm calling in on behalf of Bikewalk Alameda tonight to just express our gratitude to staff, the consultants, and City Council, especially Mayor Izzy Ashcraft, for all the progress on this complex and important project over the years. It's come a very long way since it was recommended in the 2009 Estuary Crossing Study, and we so appreciate all the work that's gotten us to this point. Thank you so much. Thank you for your comments. And now enough remote speakers have raised their hands, so it's lowered to the two minutes. Um, and the next speaker okay. is uh, Jim Stralow. Welcome, Speaker Strelo. Good evening. I have biked through the tunnel three to four times a month, currently do so about once a month. And the correspondence from city manager for this agenda item is background in 2009, the city developed a report, dot, dot, dot. Top recommended long-term option was determined to be a movable bicycle pedestrian bridge. What the manager Conveniently omitted is that it was Bike Alameda's recommended number one priority for the bridge, not the city's top recommended project. The city of Alameda's highest priority in 2009, they voted for water taxis. Council considered 55 million for a bridge at that time was too expensive and voted for an easier to implement water taxi program. The current omission in this presentation is the lack of inclusion of the old Broadway Jackson project renamed Oakland Alameda Access Project. One tunnel will be for bike ped traffic to Oakland, the other to Alameda. The biggest tunnel problem currently is the traffic going both directions. From their main alamedactc.org website uh, for the Oakland Alameda Access Project, it'll reduce traffic and construct safe and accessible bicycle and pedestrian facilities that will provide improved connectivity for all modes between Oakland, Jack London, and Alameda. Alameda moved some money from enhancements to the tunnels, Webster and Posey, to help fund the city's bike 
bridge project. When discussing the bridge project, it is important to keep it in context with other regional transportation projects. Stop wasting taxpayer money on that costly bridge project. Thank you. Thank you. Our next speaker, Carmen Reed. Welcome, Speaker Reed. Good evening, um, again, Mayor and City Council members. I just have a few comments about this item. I think that it's an interesting concept to be able to have um, a bicycle bridge. And I have looked uh, into the report very carefully. And um, I think that if, uh, so my my recommendation would be to look at, at option three, which is uh, the connection from Alameda um, to, uh, to Oak Street in Oakland, which is close to the BART. And um, that, that would be a way where both landings are uh, in park spaces. Now, what I would also recommend is that, um, uh, that the report or that they look into this research, right, um, include another mode of transportation, like, like mini electric buses. So if you make a bridge like, uh, you know, for pedestrians and cyclists, then to also include some other type of transportation, um, for example, like, you know, like ferrying uh, these mini buses to, uh, to the BART station to facilitate really that greater transportation. And um, my third recommendation would be to really survey the public. Where are people commuting? Are they commuting uh, north? Are they commuting to San Francisco, uh, to the South Bay, right? And um, and let's see if we can solve some of those issues. My other um, sort of question and concern is, I'm wondering is uh, if this money is coming from the historic transportation uh, bill from, um, from the federal government. If so, I think that we need uh, to look into um, a tube on the West End, so for vehicles, because that's just the reality. Uh, with and the your greater time is up. Thank you so much. Our next speaker, uh, Christine. Ning. Oh, do you know what? I'm sorry. We do have to do a little housekeeping matter, don't we, Madam Clerk? Oh, it's already that time. Sure. It's already that time. All right. So what we have to do um, is vote to. Um, yep, I set my alarm to take yeah, the vote. Gonna, yeah, we have. Um, <laughs> two, how many, two more regular agenda items after this one. I mean. And then 5C pulled from the consent. And then 5C pulled from and the consent. potentially the two referrals, yeah. And so um, I do have one member um, who's remote who can only stay on till 11. And um, we need to, and I'm not willing to stay around much more than 11. City Manager Ott, tell me about the pulled item. Uh, yeah, we, we can wait, and it, I did one. check. Okay. The only thing I would just caution is with the CIP item coming back, and we do typically do all of our annual reports mm -hmm. on that first meeting in December. The agendas for December really are, are yeah. really packed. Um, yeah. So just keeping that in mind. It is what it is. No, I appreciate that. Um, so what about these um, last two items? See, because the way this works is we have to vote on what voting items we still have to hear before 11 or vote to go past that. We will still hear our oral communication. We'll hear city manager communications. We'll hear our oral communications, non-agenda item. 
but it doesn't look promising that we would get to the council referrals because they would take a vote. So tell us if you would, um, item 7C, is that time sensitive? I don't know. I, um, oh, is Assistant City Manager Woldridge? Uh, thank you. It's not specifically time sensitive, but I know the Alameda Unified School District is definitely um, hoping to get an answer. This was continued already from the last agenda. Yeah, okay. Uh, it was, you're right. I don't know why we didn't put it on the top of it. It's technicality of the vote. Okay. Uh, okay. So, and then what about the last one, the lease? I mean, it's not time sensitive. I, I mean, ATMA staff is hoping to move in if that yeah. were going to be, but yeah. it's. Well, what I might suggest is a motion to hear um, seven, well, obviously we're gonna finish the item we're on, and also seven C, but that would be all of the regular agenda items that we hear. Mm -hmm. And then, because like I said, we're gonna lose a council member uh, close to 11. Um, and so I don't wanna be considering too much with a short, um, a reduced council, and then we would go to item eight and nine. Yes. Um, and and oh, I, I see you quick. Uh, would you want to have five C and seven D under continued section? You could also address that yes. as part of that. I would want. Oh, D. I think I'm. I'm proposing. If you, if you put them on the twelve five agenda, would you want it under section six? That was. Um, I would, but I'm. I'm suggesting we hear. Um, we hear seven C still tonight after we finish seven B. And then, yes, I would be proposing that we moved 7D and 5C. 5C, that was a pooled consent calendar item, to be item number six. So we hear it at the top of the, um, the I do talk with my hands, don't I? So we hear it at the top of the, the, top of the, the next agenda. Is that clear enough? Yes. Okay, okay. Do I have a motion? I'd like to know if, it, if it's possible to add the referrals 10A and 10B to be uh, to follow those under six or whatever, since they've been at the end all this time. Um, that's not my motion. And I, um, I would like to just knowing that we have such crowded agendas for the I'll make, yeah, Madam Chair, I'll make your motion. All right. So it's been moved by Council Member Vela. Um, is there a second? Seconded by Councilmember Jensen. May we have a roll call vote, please, Madam Clerk? Vice Mayor Desai? Uh, yeah. Horace Spencer? No. Jensen? Yes. Vela? Aye. Mayor Ashcroft? Yes. That carries four to one. Okay, so that's what we're gonna do. We're finishing up 7B, we're going on to 7C, and then we'll jump to council, uh, city manager communication and oral communications. Um, okay. No. Um, <laughs> Back to the next speaker. Yeah. Back to okay. Sorry yeah. about that. Uh, no, Christy Ng. Welcome, Speaker Ng. Mm -hmm. Welcome. Thank you so much. Uh, good evening, Council. My name is Christy Ng, and I live in Alameda Landing. My primary concern is the usage of the bridge as well. I know there is positive general support for the bridge, but it's a large and expensive undertaking, and not all stakeholders have been included, such as the Bay 37 residents who continue to move in weekly, and new buildings are currently being built, and we have not um, been surveyed. I, too, am wondering what kind of studies and quantitative data have been gathered. There's good data from the Alameda Free Shuttle, and I'm wondering if that if this data has been analyzed or if the usage of more local footbridges, such as the Richmond footbridge, has been studied. 
I feel like both these sources would serve as good proxies to inform usage rather than general public support. I also want to voice that the water taxi service is a potential bridge alternative and it will be opening in the spring and this data should be used to determine usage as well. Thank you. Thank you. Our next speaker. Uh, Jay Garfinkel. Welcome speaker Garfinkel. Good evening. Um, I think there's uh, other people have spoken to this. There's ample uh, indication that the surveys have not been statistically significant, have not uh, uh, sampled the uh, general public. Uh, this seems to be another one of Bike Walk Alameda's uh, waving the dog. And uh, I think we really need to slow down on this. Uh, it said that the the manager said city manager said that uh, they don't ordinarily track uh, uh, staff time. Uh, no self-respecting for-profit company would ever start a project without uh, following the amount of time that their employees are putting in on a project. I mean, this is incompetent leadership as far as I'm concerned. It's totally irresponsible. Uh, I think it would be cheaper if we could buy the London Bridge from Arizona and move it here, that would be one uh, one possible solution. Uh, this is just totally uh, amazing to suggest that there will be 8,000 uh, riders a day simply because the population at that area is going to be increasing by uh, 2030. That's not statistically, it's not scientifically valid way to uh, approach these uh, estimates. I think this is another example of city staff and certain members of the council pretending that they are the same as the emperor who isn't wearing any clothes. The people of Alameda are watching and this is just a patently absurd project that, that just shouldn't exist at all, thank you. Thank you. Our next speaker, Estella Villagrana. Villagrana. Uh, welcome, Speaker Villagrana. Villagrana. Yeah. Welcome. Uh, I, I'm actually borrowing Estella's um, uh, iPad. This is Shelby Sheehan. I, I, I have a tendency to agree with the other speakers that this is an overpriced and unnecessary project that could be simplified with a very low tech solution like a, a shuttle stop, a little tra travel pad where people can come and wait every 15 minutes, every half an hour um, on demand. That would solve everything. I, it would cost almost nothing. I think the entire project is infeasible uh, just from from a distance. And I, I don't see this any reason to put any more money into it or even get any money for it. If there is money available for it, maybe we should put it like uh, Carmen Reed said, I think, that um, those funds should be somewhere more useful and uh, more legitimate and um, <clears throat> something more material. So I, I don't see why any staff time or any money should be put towards this. And we, if we want to fix that problem right now, let's just get a little shuttle. Thank you. Thank you. Our next speaker. Uh, Steve Chu. Welcome, Speaker Chu. Hi, thank you for the opportunity. Um, I had two concerns. A lot of folks touched on one, which is about the cost, but the other primary one was just crime and vandalism. So that would be my primary concern if, if we were to build some sort of bike pedestrian bridge leading from Oakland to Alameda. I think folks who live in West Alameda can see, you know, going through the Webster and Posey tube on a regular basis. 
on the Posey side, I mean, it is just a lot of graffiti and vandalism, and it's just a constant battle. I, I think it may be Caltrans that might be waging with these folks and trying to clean it. So really concerned with that leading into the, you know, potentially the, the park that's out there in West Alameda and also into residential community and, you know, kind of the uh, potential issues that come with that sort of situation there. So just wanted to voice that concern. And then again, on, on the cost, it does seem like the estimates are quite low. And for a cost like this offsetting the potential volume of users that are going to be going across the bridge just really doesn't seem to be the best amount of, um, let's say, cost per greenhouse gas reduction. So appreciate the time. Thank you. Thank you. Our next speaker? That was our last speaker. Okay. With that, we will close public comment on um, this item, and um, which is 7B. And this is um, the recommendation is to accept an update on the Oakland Estuary Bridge project. Um, Council Member Vela, you haven't spoken. Did you want to comment on, on this? No, just, just move that we accept the update. Thank you. Then, okay. <laughs> That's a, a motion to accept the updates uh, by Council Member Vela, seconded by Council Member Jensen. I just want to express my appreciation to Ms. Wheeler, who's done a superb job, and um, thank you for uh, all your work and keeping all these technical um, uh, things straight and really nice quotes in a newspaper article that I read today. So good on you. All right, Madam Clerk, may we have a roll call vote, please? Oh, didn't realize. Okay, yes, Councilmember Spencer. Uh, thank you. I want to thank the, all the speakers for your comments. I agree with many of you. Um, I uh, am very concerned when we, when, even though this is regional monies, it's still monies that could go to the cities uh, for better use. Um, the the only actual number of usage is 152 uh, bike bike and walk in, back from 2016. Uh, which is more than likely 75 people using that. Um, and we were, as, as you've heard, like it's over 200 million is the estimate, 3.5 million uh, a year. Uh, even, you know, ridership would have to, users would have to go up some exponential number to make it make sense. Um, and I truly believe that there's better usage of regional monies. Um, and the shuttle that has been announced, I think that that is actually what the community has supported and the speaker that said in the past when we looked at this, actually that, that speaker is correct. It was for a water shuttle. It was not for this bridge. The water shuttle that we have, that we will be introducing, um, it's my understanding WIDA will be helping with that. And I think that that is actually terrific. I think that that is something we have needed and that it will address these concerns at significantly lower cost. Um, and it's definitely, I think, a good start, and we can get good numbers from that without uh, continuing to uh, spend staff time, not just our staff time, but uh, staff from different uh, cities and the county. And uh, so we have staff all over. I'm not sure that any of them are keeping track of their time. But rest assured, your taxpayer <coughs> dollars are being spent on this, and it's time that we could actually be spending uh, focusing on something that I think is actually going to be much more, uh, not just cost efficient, but I think there are legitimate crime concerns of having a pedestrian bike bridge between Alameda and Oakland. I think that the crime that's causing all of us to actually, uh, many of us 
are not driving to Oakland, if we can avoid it, we are not parking our cars there. Uh, we are Ubering if we go there. Uh, those are real numbers. Those are real crime concerns. And to think that crime does not happen if you're, we know crime happens if you're walking. Crime happens if you're riding a bike. People that are riding a bike are uh, actually being held up. Their bikes are being stolen from them. We know you're walking down the street. You can, we've had that happen here in town. It will absolutely happen across a bridge. Um, in fact, if you look at the BART bridge, we've had a lot of problems. Oakland has had a lot of problems with the bridge uh, by the Coliseum. And right, we, we know that. So I think it's actually um, not uh, being honest with the community uh, to think that this is going to be even a safe means of transportation. Uh, uh, but so I think that, you know, I'm, I'm confident that this council will support this regardless. Um, I'm not, I'm confident it will, I think, never be built. So all this time and money will have been wasted and could have been spent on something else that would actually be productive. Um, uh, but rest assured, um, if in fact this ever gets built, uh, and I do think it's critical for us to look up for, uh, in regards to the, the comments of the tube, I do believe that if, when we have a serious earthquake, the tube will not be workable. And I have heard that uh, it will not be repaired. Uh, I do think we have to come up with a way that, yes, people are choosing to drive and not take public transportation because public transportation has proven itself to not be safe currently. But there are people that take it because they have no other choice, but safety is a legitimate reason uh, that we absolutely have to take into consideration when we're making decisions. Um, and um, I, I think that uh, I do, uh, the person from Bayport that called in, they also have a legitimate concern here. Uh, the examples of where this bridge will go, the impact on them, they've already had a lot of issues in regards to just what's happened uh, with an additional building being built. So I think that that's a sympathetic uh, concern of what's happening uh, to Bayport. And then the boaters, uh, the impact to them, and the impact on the marina, uh, this is all, those are all legitimate considerations. People have moved to the, here. They they use the marina. In fact, the port is expanding the marina, right? We know that uh, because of that usage. And then to impede the usage of the estuary over an issue like this, that the last numbers are 152, and that is old. Uh, but I actually see, like we had a caller that says he uses it less. I think it actually gets used less than what we had seen uh, pre-COVID. Uh, so I will not be supporting this. Thanks. I just want to comment on a comment that was made about people not using public transportation because it's not safe. I ride the AC Transit bus at least weekly, sometimes a couple times a week to go to meetings in Oakland. Sometimes I go to San Francisco. Um, it is a pleasure to see the bus, the bus routes that I'm usually on are the 51A, the 20, or the O to San Francisco. It's a pleasure to see passengers back on um, the bus. And the only drawback for me of riding the bus is that people recognize the mayor, and I think I'm going to catch up like on email while I'm on the bus, but instead I end up having conversations, but really nice conversations with constituents who are so pleased to see their mayor riding the bus. But but I say, you know, it's it's just the easiest 
quickest way to get around when I attended Senator Feinstein's memorial service in San Francisco a while back. I knew um, the traffic and parking would be crazy, so um, I took BART to the city and you know BART to AC Transit back, and it was lovely. It was a really hot day, and I was on a nice new BART air-conditioned cars, so um, if you're out there riding public transit, you might have different experiences. Okay, um, uh, Vice Mayor Desog. Thank you, I'll just be quick. Um, you know, uh, <laughs> about 18 months ago, I think when we uh, were, were talking about this as to whether or not we should be spending um, staff money um, uh, to pursue this, <laughs> I believe I was the only council member at the time <laughs> to vote against it. And, um, but in the run-up uh, to the November 2022 election, as I was door knocking, I, I was amazed to find the enthusiasm of many um, families uh, whose doors I was knocking and talking with. Um, and so I softened my stance, and I, and I, and I told, you know, I even told the uh, Chronicle's um, Rachel Swan about that. It's like, yeah, I was amazed at how many young families are really excited about this. Um, so I think there is um, community um, um, interest, um, support um, for this. Um, but you know, at, at the end of the day, you know, cost is, is, is important and, and you know, I don't think the city of Alameda uh, can, can um, pay for, uh, you know, at this time, 200 plus million dollar bridge. And so that's why I said, you know, I'm very supportive of this. <clears throat> if, you know, uh, the county and, and, and the state of California are willing to, you know, come up with a, with a funding for this, um, because I, I know that, that locally residents are excited about this. Um, but I don't think City Hall can, can shoulder the, the, um, uh, the, the cost of this. I think we all know that. Um, so to the extent that the feds or Sacramento or the county is willing to step in, hey, you know what? they're willing to chip in the dollars, then you know, we've got the people who are enthusiastic about this. And so I, I, I do support this. Um, and um, I hope that, you know, that, that we can put it all together. Granted, you know, this is like a 20-year project. Thanks, uh, Vice Mayor, and thank you for emphasizing that. To be clear, we've never looked to the city for funding this bridge. And you're right about the federal money. Is that is the federal, state, regional, um, that's what we're looking at. And I had the same experience when I was walking precincts for my reelection for mayor this last time, um, that people are um, uh, uh, really excited about that bridge, and they, they want to get out of their cars. They want safe alternatives. And you just look around the city, and you see all these young families you know, shuttling their kids in those cargo bikes, um, going grocery shopping and whatnot. And then just recently, last Friday, Planning Director Alan Tai and I um, did a marathon of interviews. We had an amazing um, response to two planning board openings. We had 45 applications. We read through all of them. We chose 11 individuals, really qualified individuals to interview, and we interviewed them all on Friday and then deliberated. But well, it was kind of like a public opinion poll because these are folks who are very tuned in to planning and, and um, you know, transportation issues. and. Almost every one of them said, and oh, I love this, this plans for uh, this bicycle pedestrian bridge. And I'm hearing that in the region, not just on this side of the water, but on the other side. And yeah, all right. 
Um, before we take a roll call vote, Councilmember Harris Spencer. Thank you, Mayor. Uh, so uh, I had actually supported it, and I appreciate Member Daysog for mentioning that. And I had asked for actual new numbers, and none of that information was forthcoming of what I had asked for last time. Um, so I'm going to change my position because of that. I didn't get the information I asked for. Um, and in regards to crime, all of you that take it, and I do take it from, uh, I take BART regularly and, and buses, um, uh, we are aware that there's an increase in crime. Thank you. Thank you. All right, we've had a motion. It's been seconded. We've had robust discussion. Madam Clerk, may we have a roll call vote, please? Vice Mayor Desai? Aye. Council Member Spencer? No. Jensen? Aye. Bella? Aye. Mayor Ezzie Ashcroft? Yes. That carries four to one. Thank you. All right, and so now um, we're going to bid adieu to um, the um, uh, to Council Member Vela. She um, is way sleep deprived today. Um, and, but we're gonna do our last um, regular agenda item. 7C. 7C, would you introduce that please? And who's, whose item is that? Yes, okay. <laughs> I need to look right more often. Okay. <laughs> Introduction of ordinance authorizing the transfer of 0.65 acres to Alameda Unified School District, the conveyance of an easement to AUSD for parking and access purposes, the acceptance yeah. of an easement from the school district for parking and access purposes and the city manager to execute all necessary documents in connection therewith to facilitate the renovation and rebuild of Wood Middle School. These actions are category exempt from further environmental review under the California Environmental Call Act, CEQA guidelines section 15305, minor alterations in land use limitations. Thank you and um, welcome um, uh, Assistant City Manager Wooldridge. Uh, what, do you, what should we know? <laughs> Thank you, Mayor and Council. So a quick presentation, I will keep it brief. The Cliff uh, Notes version. Uh, yes, uh, next slide, please. Uh, so Alameda Unified School District is, is completely rebuilding Wood Middle. Um, Wood Middle and the adjacent Riddler Park, which is owned by the city, uh, were built at the same time back in the uh, 60s. Um, it's located uh, at Grand Street and Otis. Um, and why it's important they were built at the same time as a few of our parks and schools were is because there's some interesting lot lines when you look at the attached interesting. Uh, map. <laughs> and so one of these is to one of these uh, issues is to clean that up, and the other is to provide uh, reciprocal public access uh, parking. Um, so this design does include access off Otis Drive that will go through a um, 70 space parking lot uh, that would be used jointly for the school as well as for Rittler Park, and I'll get into that more in a second. Um, next slide, please. So AUSD uh, came to the city staff requesting the boundary line adjustments um, and following a, a, an in-depth, quite in-depth analysis by the, the city attorney's office, uh, city staff proposes that we transfer 0.65 acres to AUSD um, on the attached um, map that is the um, salmon orangish area. Um, that's an area that has never been used by Rittler Park. That's where we have a very funky boundary line um, and has never been used as a part of the park, so therefore is not um, the, the, the charter um, um, the, uh, uh, regarding transfer of park property um, does not apply in this case. Um, it's always been a part of the Wood Middle School and is behind a fence um, as part of Wood Middle School. Um, the second part on the area map that is um, 
in yellow um, is to grant an easement to AUSD. And do we need to uh, look at the map? Or oh, I, oh, I will. I'll get yeah, to it in just yeah. a second. And just we have it in a packet, overview. obviously. Yeah. Thank you, Mayor. Sure, sure. And uh, AUSD will also grant an easement to between the two create uh, a public parking access that um, is a public benefit. So that's how we are able to do this easement and why staff supports this easement and recommends it. Um, the school district would be responsible to construct and maintain this public parking lot. Currently for Rittler Park, the public, um, there is no parking lot and the public um, struggles. We would hear comments about it in recreation and parks and uh, it impacts the local neighborhoods um, because they park in local neighborhood streets. Um, so this benefit will not only be for the park users but also really benefits the surrounding neighborhood. Uh, and, and just to add that the easement that we're providing does not impact any of the park's athletic field uses. It's a, just a small side area that doesn't impact the soccer fields or baseball field. Uh, next slide, please. So this is the um, area, the, the what's in the salmon orange area is what we would transfer, the area that has always been uh, used as school area and not park. Uh, and what you see in yellow before you is the reciprocal public access uh, and public parking that would be available both for school use and for uh, public use at all times. Um, and with that, uh, uh, let me just one more slide, please. Um, so as mentioned, this is for s approximately 70 new public parking spaces. Um, and just to let council know, public works and transportation staff have been working very closely with AUSD on the transportation plan. Um, to, uh, with priority to minimize impacts on the upcoming planned Grand Street two-way bikeway and surrounding streets. Um, that is a separate item, um, but uh, wanted to make sure you were aware of that. And that concludes my report. Thank you so much. Um, the, um, I have a clarifying question. Um, uh, City Attorney, how many votes are needed on this item? Madam Mayor and Council Members, because we're transferring property, four votes are necessary. The oh. easements require three. Um, so there are, sep there are two, essentially two actions are being asked of you. The, the reciprocal easements require three. The transfer of the properties require four. Okay. Um, all right. Um, well, let me ask this. If we don't, I'm just going to take a straw poll, if I might, because there are only four of us left. I can try to reach out and claw back um, <laughs> Councilmember Vela and owe her dinner or something after this. But um, do we have four council members who are inclined to support this, these requests? Because otherwise, I would request that we not hear this item uh, tonight. Do I have four council members in support? Jensen would support Desog. I have no reason to oppose it. Um, so I'm at the cusp of not hearing this if I don't have four. So you, I, I know you've reviewed your plan. Okay, okay. And then Councilmember Harris-Benson. Yeah, I have a clarifying question I'd like to ask. Yes, ma'am. So I had you. asked staff in advance in regards to my concern of um, the, the easement so that when the school has access and the public has access, uh, what I've seen historically is that the school would like its spaces during school hours and then whatever's, when they're not using it, that then the public could use it. And we've, we have uh, examples of that. Um, uh, but uh, it's my understanding that the documents have been modified so that the city would always have uh, 
complete access and that the district would never be able to say uh, that we want, you know, 30 spaces between eight and five, uh, that it's very clear that, 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 that it, right, so I want to make sure that that's in there. Yes, it's not, it, it is recipro reciprocal public access. There's, there's no delineation of number of parking spaces between either entity. Uh, uh, and, and certainly we can, we can I, I believe that language is in there. Um, what's before you tonight is, so and we can certainly take direction um, because the actual documents, uh, we will still be um, finalizing. Yeah, so I do support it as long as it's 24-7 public and that the district will not be able to uh, come back and say, no, the doc, it, you know, we think it's, we get half. Yeah, we, I see bobbleheads nodding over that. there, but I do need something verbal for the record. <laughs> if, if I may, Madam Mayor Please and Council Members. speak. If the council directs us to do so, staff will implement the council direction. Um, that's the council direction, but what if that doesn't work for the school district? Can we just bring it back? When well, no, we there, well, there are revised ordinances that, that were revised, yeah, it, and they are posted, and they were time, to address Council Member Spencer's issue, which was about the not being able, the school district not being able to restrict the parking for their own use, but making sure it was essentially non-exclusive. And I those... And that's correct, and that it's specifically stated in the revised ordinance, uh, twenty-four oh. seven public access, twenty-four-seven. Is that here in the revised ordinance? I may have missed that. Mm -hmm. yeah. Okay, just tell us oh, what I'm page. Sorry, the revised ordinance. Well, it's only three pages. Yeah, so. hold on. I'm sorry. Okay, I have it open in a different thing. Let me it's open it. The it's whereas, actually it's in the, the title, isn't it? Yeah, and it's in the whereas at the bottom of page one. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So um, do you want to read that to us, Madam Clerk? The, uh, are you on the revised Yeah, it one? says, on a 24-7 basis, public access to an additional parking for Rittler Park and for school facilities. Okay, so. so what we're looking for is a motion that supports, that approves this ordinance. Correct, but I would like to ask them because I have at, they made changes to make sure that it's clear, and so I wanted it on the record that yes, that that's where we are. So I'm a little concerned when I have the city attorney saying if that's where the direction is, because I thought that that was what these revisions were for, and I so that's what I want to make sure. And, and, and council member, I just want to be clear: the ordinance will give the direction, but obviously the actual. Property transfer documents are not drafted, but we will draft them in compliance with the ordinance and council direction that's given tonight. And the ordinance then provides the 24-7 to the public. And so that is, I would just, that's what that change was. So then that's the direction I think council's giving tonight. And then that's what the documents should reflect. It, it does reflect it, council member. If you look at page one of the revised ordinance I right understand, there at the bottom. I understand that I've read it, but I want it from my st staff on the record. You want like, the staff I, to read that into the record? No, I wanted them to say yes, that that is in fact, so I appreciate the city manager saying that, but I am concerned that I felt like it wasn't as clear from the city attorney. <laughs> um, so the documents will, will in fact reflect, because I get that, this, that yes. that's what, what it said. is, 24-7 yes. public <laughs> use. Okay, Madam Clerk, do we have Thank public you. comment? Uh, oops, let me double check, sorry. Uh, yes, we have one. Okay. 
Uh, I think it's Shelby Sheehan. Okay. All right. Um, yes. Welcome, Hi. Spe uh, Speaker Sheehan. Thank you. Um, so the reason I wanted to comment on this, and I appreciate uh, Council Member Spencer talking about the 24-7 public access, is because, you know, uh, the Rec and Park District usually partners with um, the school district uh, many times, including parking. And that brings back to my earlier comment about the O Club parking lot, which is uh, is actually a, a parcel that belongs to Okay, ADSD. all right. I'm going to I'm just going to pause here to remind you that this is a specific item that we're talking about on yes. it's 7C. So you can talk about yes. the Alameda so Unified am. School District Agreement. Yes, so I am. Um, I'm I'm giving you context. So um, uh, the parcel is being used by the Rec Park District, right? So in so if it seems to me that this parcel that we're talking about here, as far as cooperative agreements and public um, accessibility, they just took that away from a different parcel. So it seems to me like as part of this agreement, they should be giving back the parking lot of the O Club as part of the agreement to give them this, uh, this parcel for school use, because now there's two-thirds of a public parking parcel that has been privatized to a private vendor that the school is giving $8 million over three years to. So, um, and it's an inappropriate space. So in light of the fact that the Oak Club is rec park and um, they cooperate in agreements together, that was an error. And also it's unpermitted and it's, it's not appropriate for the land use. So I think there's some room here to ask the school to do a little give back and follow the law and um, give back the Red Park, the use of that parking lot, which they weren't using anyway, and they privatized to, you know, like I said, one of their vendors. I think that would be something that should be part of the agreement. Thank you. Thank you. Our next speaker? That was our only speaker. With that, we close public comment on 7C. And I believe we've had a motion, and it was seconded. So, Madam Clerk, maybe we have a roll call vote, please. Oh, did we? I don't think we have. One. Oh, we didn't have one. I thought. No, no. Oh, sorry, sorry. No. <laughs> Tracy, I'm Councilmember Jensen. Maybe I'm getting my issues, my items. Okay. Yeah. Well, I did a straw poll. That's yeah. what it was. Okay, got it. All right, we still have to do uh, a real one. Approval. Okay, we have a motion to approve by Councilmember Jensen, seconded by. I'll second it. All those in favor? Okay, uh, Madam uh, Clerk. Oh, no, we're in, all to. those in yes, favor. Yes. I wanted to make a comment. A comment, please. Yeah. Thank you, Mayor. Uh, okay, so we just uh, had... Never uh, mind, Vice Mayor Jay's like second. Sorry, okay. go ahead. Uh, so in regards to this old club parking lot, um, I... Whoa, is that, whoa, city manager, I'm city attorney. Would you help us out here? Are we discussing no, I, the old club parking lot? I'd like to ask my question. Not if it's about the old club parking no, lot. I can't. Not on this agenda item. That's no. no I can I, ask a question. We have had filibusters all night long. I understand what you're this doing, is, but we you actually don't. You don't let me speak. If you Point were of speaking, order, I can finish my question. Not if you were speaking about the Oak Club parking lot. I'm, I'm asking a question. I'm so just, I'd like to continue asking my question. I'm listening. All right, so uh, there was a caller that said that we could include that as part of... Um, this item and say, okay, we'll give you, we'll give the school district this agreement 
to have access this easement, but in return we want the access to the parking lot at the Oak Club. Is that something that could be part of uh, this agreement? Um, I, we, it's a Brown Act violation. We can't no, discuss a side agreement with the Oak it's Club. Not I just want to, if I may, uh, I just want to understand the question. So is the question that, the, is the council member asking whether or not we can ask for additional terms for this Correct. agreement? Okay, it's with part that, of this agreement. with that, I would ask that the maker and the seconder of the motion withdraw because we need to move this to the next agenda. I'll I think that's a yes okay. or no answer. Okay, we had the motion has been withdrawn. Okay, um, I would ask, do we need a motion to move this to item six In of the next? Yeah. Okay, and it just takes three votes, right? Yes. All right. Move, move that we move it. Okay, that we move this item to item six. Point of, of order, adjusting. are you not going to allow the attorney to answer my question? It's a yes or no. Could it be added as a term? We're gonna take this motion that's before us. It's been moved by Councilmember Jensen. I am, no, we are not now starting to revise this agreement. We I'm not, not asking for it to be revised. I'm asking a yes or no question. We had a caller raise an issue. I should be able to ask the attorney if that is an, even an option. It may not be an option. It may not be, it may be, I don't know. If you're able to, under the Brown Act, to discuss this, Well, certainly under the Brown Act, the council could direct us to add or remove terms to the agreement, but I do not have, I cannot answer the question, council member, because I don't know whether or not it's practicable. Okay, all right. Okay, do I have a second to Councilmember Jensen's motion? I do. That yeah. wasn't actually my question in regards to whether it was practical or not, whether it would be legal. You're the city attorney. I'm asking for a, a, an attorney and a legal decision. Spencer, it is now almost 11:30, and we um, have a motion. It's been seconded. I'm going to call for just a quick comment. Yes, sir. My quick comment is, I, I, my my feeling is that the city attorney did answer your question. I mean, so it. It, I think you're looking for an answer that was legal or not legal. Correct, but, but he answer, said practicable. But, exactly. So and, I don't think he said would it be legal. Okay, all right. So that's not that didn't answer the question, Councilmember Dayson. Okay, it didn't answer your Motions question. Motions on the floor. The one that asked the question. Oh, okay, okay. Uh, Madam Clerk, uh, we oh, just yeah. all those in favor signify by stating aye. 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 Okay. The, and opposed. But this is coming down. Is this on continuing the item? It is. No, I wanted to be able to finish it tonight. Okay. Well, we just passed the continuance with a vote of three to, are you going to vote? I'm going to abstain then because I think we could have okay. finished the three, item tonight. Three um, yeses and one abstention. All right, we will put that and that's moving to item six of the next agenda. Okay, with that, we move to item six, which is city and, manager. And Madam Mayor, I'm may I just note for the record that the council already had the discussion and called for public comment, so you're continuing the item right. and there will be no additional public That's comment right. and you'll just pick up where you left exactly. off. Exactly. Okay. Thank just you for that clarification. That was clear to the public. Perfect, thank you. It's yeah, really it'll just be under section six. It's just for the vote. Mm -hmm. Okay, all right. Item eight, city manager communication. I'll make this quick, but we do, I just wanna make sure uh, folks are aware that on December 2nd, we're having a winter lights um, ceremony, mm -hmm. fest, um, 5.30 to 6 at City Hall. 
uh, right in front, and will be there'll be performances by the Tap Dancing Christmas Trees, mm -hmm. select members of the Alameda High Symphonic Band, and then a countdown of lighting up City Hall. So, and the Christmas tree or the the Christmas tree will be back, and so we'll have that in front of City Hall um, among mm -hmm. other light. Uh, fixtures and then some also some opportunities to donate um, and kind of share the spirit. Well, also on December 4th, uh, there will be a community workshop for the Fernside Boulevard Traffic Commune and Bikeways project. There are other ways to participate as well online survey, virtual workshop. Um, and then on December 8th, there'll be an Alameda Point tour. Um, uh, so for on some of the buildings that we're talking about leasing or selling, we a chance to actually see those on the, from 8.30, starting at 8.30 um, Friday morning on December 8th. Um, so just wanted to mention a couple of those events coming up. Did you mean to also add that there's a hot cocoa crawl on Park Street? Yes, after that the will be right out. That's true. Very important. A hot cocoa crawl will occur right after that. the winter light. <laughs> so it's kind of time to, to be able to kind of move. Thank stroll right over. Thank you. Yeah, you stroll right over. It's totally fun. Okay, with that, we come back to oral communications. I know we've had a number of speakers waiting very patiently. And so, Madam Clerk, um, and we don't need to, we, um, so how many speakers? And then we, we, we have more than the yeah. limit, so it'll go to two minutes, two each. minutes each. And um, I'm not sure that everybody's still here, but I will still just um, call them all. Um, first is our Ariana Hakim. Speaker Hakim, still here? Am Amina? Oh, Amina, I'm sorry. Amina, okay. I, it's late and my glasses are missing. I, I'm so I, sorry. I'm so sorry. Come on up and you probably know the drill. Just bring the microphone wherever you need it and welcome. Okay, can you hear me? Uh, yes, we can okay. hear you. <laughs> Good evening, respected mayor, vice mayor, and council members. Thank you so much for giving the public a chance to speak tonight. Uh, my name is Amina. I work in early childhood education. Um, uh, my child is also a student at AUSD. I'm also a member of a new group called Alameda Friends and Family for a Ceasefire. Alameda today is much more different than what I remember it to be living in the early 2000s. Uh, while my family and I were called Bin Laden's ragheads, had police called on us multiple times and told that we do not belong here, I'd like to believe that today that kind of treatment would not fly. Today, we have a new level of respect for all and a stronger intolerance for examples of hate. I'd like to first recognize the Ohlone land that we're on and remind everyone to honor the indigenous peoples of this nation, which Biden himself, as of this year, urges Americans to celebrate every November as Native American Heritage Month. But I'd also like to point out the hypocrisy, the contradiction, and the inhumanity of us regretting the terrible actions of colonial, colonialism and genocide that happened centuries ago, while simultaneously su supporting funding and refusing to speak against it as it's happening before our very eyes. More than 14,000 innocent human beings have been massacred in a matter of weeks, half of which are children, more than 41,000 buildings, which people's homes uh, have been destroyed, 279 schools damaged, 25 out of the 35 hospitals that exist in Gaza uh, destroyed. Uh, are the children whose limbs we see lying above and underneath the rubble Hamas? Are the NICU babies that were dependent on the electricity to survive that Israel cut off Hamas? Are the 90-year-old grandparents who are older than the existence of Israel that have lived through decades of war, oppression, and settler colonialism Hamas? An eye for an eye leaves the whole world blind, but I argue that we've lost more than just our sight. We've lost our hearing, our minds, and our hearts. 
I ask you today to follow suit of which most cities in California have already done, including Congresswoman Barbara Lee, and draft a resolution that calls for a permanent ceasefire, not a temporary one, in addition to stopping the military aid Israel receives from our tax dollars indiscriminately slaughter human lives. Thank you for your comments. Our next speaker. Uh, please remember, remember earlier, this is a business meeting. We respect everyone. We listen, and but we just listen. We don't applaud. It just takes the meeting, makes the meeting longer, and it's already going on midnight. Um, our next speaker, please. Uh, Saida Adem. Welcome, speaker. I think you'll help us. And bring that microphone wherever you need it. Okay. All right. My little slides you can see there. Thank you. Hi, I'm Saida Adam. I'm an RN nurse practitioner. Nurses save lives. I'm here to ask you all to join the movement to, ur to urgent for permanent ceasefire to save life in Gaza and West Bank. Speaker Saida, you might want to bring your microphone down just a little bit oh. so we hear you better. Okay, you hear yes. me? Okay, no, should I start good. also quickly? Okay, I'm Saida, I'm an RN, NP nurse practitioner. Uh, nurses save lives. I'm here to ask you all to join the movement of to urge for permanent ceasefire to save lives in Gaza and West Bank. The world witnessed for more than 75 years painful suffering occupation conflict in Gaza and West Bank. The past four or five days, the collective punishment of Palestinian civilians through un unlawful for force by Israeli is a war crime. 1.5 people displaced. In Gaza, every 10 minutes a child killed, about 5,000 still counting, children lost their life, more than 13,000 still counting, Palestinian killed, more than 30,000 are injured. Homes, hospitals, ambulance, roads, bakeries, church, mosques are destroyed. Food, water, fuel is not allowed to enter in Gaza. Now winter is starting, more people they will be freezing to death. For the last 50 years, I cannot believe this, three billion a year taxpayers' money went to Israel. Now additional $14.3 billion is added. I was involved before COVID, um, a research study related to unhoused Americans issue. According to this study, needed about 20 billion to solve an unhoused. Um, if we cut the taxpayer, to Israel, our household Americans, which is some of them, I hate to say, they're veterans, could have a shelter. I do not want my tax money to destroy Gaza and Palestinians' life. Please, ceasefire four to five days is not Thank enough. You. Thank you. Our next speaker. Shukriya Hakim. Welcome, Speaker Hakim. Hello. My name is Shukriya Hakim. I'm a healthcare uh, worker, and I treat my patient like my own. Uh, but uh, obviously, in uh, uh, Gaza, in Palestine, what is the uh, uh, Israeli doing to the hospitals by bombing hospitals with the white phosphorus and killing patients and killing nurses and doctors? In Gaza, every every ten minutes, a Palestinian children is killed due to the Israeli genocide and bombing. And 14,100 total killed, 7,000 children killed, and 30,000 wounded. This is absolutely unac unacceptable, and we, we demand a ceasefire, permanent ceasefire, and I don't want my um, tax dollars to Israel to kill innocent 
Palestinian. Thank you. Thank you. Our next speaker. Paula Rainey. Um, speaker Rainey left. I saw okay. her leave. Okay, great. Yeah. I thought she did. Um, next is, um, sorry, Sumeya Al-Khatib. And you can help us with the pronunciation when Thank you get you. up here. Ah. <laughs> I put in the pronunciation for her. Oh, <laughs> nice. Welcome. Hi. Thank you so much. Um, hi, my name is Sumail Katib. I'm a local and I pray at the masjid here in Alameda. I call on the city council to pass a call for permanent ceasefire on Palestine now and to stop aid to Israel. Day by day, the death toll rises. Last week, I learned that doctors in the area had to create a new code. Wounded child, no surviving family. No surviving family. The average age of all Palestinians murdered in the past month of, is five years old, according to the Norwegian newspaper VG. Five years old. Over 14,000 Palestinians have been killed, more than half of whom were babies and children. If this continues, 40, the 45% of homes left in the Gaza Strip as of November 10th will be wiped out within 32 days. That's 0% of homes left in the Gaza Strip according to the UN Office for Coordination of Humanitarian Affairs. Uh, I recently worked on taking the names of the martyrs who have passed from the 7th to the 25th, and I noticed a couple things. First, it took me six pages just to get past the babies who have passed the age zero. All babies who have passed, that's six pages of just babies, um, compared to the 40 fake babies that ha um, Israel claimed to have been beheaded. So these are real babies. Uh, I also noticed my own name, Sumaya, show up three, four different times. Three, four different times, I just wouldn't even be here. Uh, my own family's names, uh, my mother, my father, my sisters, my uncles, just on that list. Uh, some people may feel that this isn't a city council issue. I'd like to point out many different cities have passed similar resolutions. Richmond, our neighbors. You guys are the voices between us and the federal government. We need you, and uh, we need you to speak on our behalfs. Please take up the res resolution. There are many other cities who have passed this resolution beyond the right side of history. Thank you. Thank you. Our next speaker. Uh, Dennis Carroll. Welcome, Speaker Carroll. Anyway, uh, thank you for the opportunity to speak. It's uh, part of our democracy. Um, you know, I, four, of my, four of my neighbors were here tonight to speak, and they probably invested 16 hours to come speak on the same issue, but the time ended up with what it is, and I, I think it goes to maybe allowing people to speak from home. I mean, just to have an equitable position. Um, so, I mean, without further ado, I'll try to be coherent at this late, late hour, but I'm here to speak about the Marina Village Inn and how it's been repurposed as Eddie's place. And it's, I mean, I mean, there's been concerns since May. This, this facility transitioned, opened up in May under a contract with Alameda Health System, to my knowledge. And it's, but there's no public um, approval process or no public comment. It's. It's a facility that's receiving uh, patients from all the Alameda County Health Systems, where it's, whether it's Highland Hospital, San Leandro Hospital, Alameda Hospital, Fairmont Hospital, ASF Rehab, and uh, there are people there. I don't like using the word homeless in, in, in an insensitive manner, but it's like transitioning people. Um, 
out of hospitals where they have no place to go, but it's also, there's, oh boy, that goes fast. So anyway, I'm, I'm just, I'm frustrated because it's had adverse impacts on the community. There's a major Plintz incident last weekend where, I mean, on the weekend on the 12th where there's a standoff. Um, and I just think we need more security there. We need more support for screening. And we need to know what's going to happen with the Marina in, in the long term as a future if it needs to be revitalized. Um, thank, thank you for your time. Thank you. Our next speaker. Uh, Edward Wargo. Speaker Wargo, are you here? I think I left. All right. Uh, Carlos. Carlos. Come on up, Speaker Carlos. Hello, good evening. Thank you all for sticking around. Appreciate uh, taking public comment from all of us. Um, I just want to uh, first give a shout out to all my Palestinian comrades um, who I stand in solidarity with. Since October 7th, I am a different person, um, seeing the ongoing genocide within Gaza, um, following the reporters who are on the ground there, seeing recently a father carrying the two plastic bags with the limbs of his obliterated children, seeing babies burned, seeing hospitals in ruins. If you take the time, if you have it within yourselves to seek out the atrocities that are happening there, I have no doubt that you will be able to find sufficient motivation to call for an immediate and permanent ceasefire. Years from now, days from now, people will look back at those of you who are in charge and the line will be drawn of who is on the right side of history. So I encourage you to consider that. And um, that's pretty much all I had. So I'm not going to take up too much more time, but um, free Palestine. Thank you. Our next speaker. Summer. Summer. Do we have the speaker, Summer? Welcome. Hello. Thank you for staying this night. <laughs> thank <laughs> like, you for staying. <laughs> and thank you for listening. Um, I would like to call upon the Alameda City Council to pass a resolution demanding an immediate ceasefire on the ongoing genocide. Please let us stand in solidarity with the people of Palestine who are enduring a great hardship. It is time for us to be the voice for the voiceless and to demonstrate our commitment to the principles that define our community. Um, the world is watching and history will judge us by our actions. I implore each member of this council to consider the gravity of the situation and to pass a resolution that will reflect the values, justice, the values of justice, peace, and compassion. Our community looks to you for leadership, and together we can make a difference in the lives of those who are suffering. And I just like to add that we will support you in this. Like you won't be alone. Like you'll have us um, backing you up. That's all. Thank you. Thank you. Our next speaker, um, Zunaya Bandori. Speaker Zunaya Bandori. Yeah, Bandori. Maybe gone. Okay. May not have lasted. Yeah. Um, Ayman. Ayman. Ah, welcome. Hey, everyone. My name is Iman. I appreciate you all staying this late and hearing us out. I'm here today to urge you to draft and pass a resolution calling for a ceasefire in Palestine and calling for an immediate special meeting to make this happen. I'm here to call on your humanity. The United Nations wrote this week, quote, Gaza has become a graveyard for thousands of children, end quote. 
regardless of your political opinions, there is never a justification for the nonstop 45 days of bombing. There is never a justification to bomb schools, hospitals, and refugee camps. You cannot justify the murder of 5,000 children in the name of self-defense. I'm sure many of you in this room have children, and I want you to ask yourself if their lives ever taken would be justified. The power was cut off for incubators for 39 premature babies. Pregnant women are being forced to have C-sections without anesthesia. You all know in your hearts this is wrong, and I strongly urge you to sit on the right side of history and look back on this moment in time, knowing you did everything in your power to make sure this does not continue on. I know it can be easy to look at this issue and think that this is something abroad that should not concern us, but I strongly urge you to take this issue seriously, given one, our tax dollars directly fund this, and everyone in this room is involved whether we want to be or not. Two, Barbara Lee, who is our congressional representative for the Alameda County, was one of the first people in line supporting a ceasefire resolution. She is representing the same constituents that you do, and you need to use your voice to advocate for us as well. There is no reason we should not be consistent on a local level. And third, hate crimes in the United States are at an all-time high. This is a local issue. A six-year-old in this country was stabbed, and the guy said that all Muslims should die. A student at UC Berkeley was told he looks like ISIS and called a terrorist last week. Muslims should not have to fear for their lives in this country for their identities. Um, there is no reason for the hate crime should be at an all-time high, and the reason that this is happening is because we're villainizing Palestinians and realizing the fact that their lives don't matter, which is unacceptable. Do the right thing. Follow Thank in the you. footsteps. Thank you. Your time is up. Our next... Our I'm, next speaker is so we're holding in thank you and we're giving everyone equal time. Our next speaker is Nadine and, and then there's two Nadines and they're both M's. Um, so I don't know. <laughs> is there a Nadine in the house? Okay, come on up, Nadine. <laughs> speaker Nadine. Is there a second speaker Nadine in the house? Well we'll take okay, just Speaker okay. Nadine one. Okay. <laughs> I am the original. Yeah. Okay, <laughs> we'll right. take your word for that. Okay, welcome. Thank you. So I'm a proud Palestinian woman and community member, and I want to urge you, my honorable mayor and vice mayor and council members, to quickly draft and introduce and vote on a resolution demanding a permanent and immediate ceasefire in Gaza, drawing inspiration from many other US cities that have already done so, as well as our neighbors. As of today, November 21st, Israel has killed more than 14,000 Palestinians, with roughly 9,000 of them being children. So I want to correct a previous speaker, that actually it's much higher. And those are the numbers based on bodies counted. Many more remain under the rubble and missing. And while we welcome today's news, a four-day pause on bombing, it is not a ceasefire. A pause is just a pause. In four days' time, Israel, with support from U.S. taxpayer money, will begin again discriminatively bombing innocent civilians sheltering in hospitals, in schools, and refugee camps. And this is money that should be invested in our communities to support the healthcare needs of Alameda residents, not the destruction of Gaza's healthcare facilities and infrastructure. So I urge you to stand on the right side of history and quickly introduce and vote on a resolution to demand an immediate and permanent ceasefire an end to the seas on Gaza, Gaza, Gaza. Um, an end to US aid to Israel, an acknowledgement of your respect for international law. 9,000 children, just remember that, that the numbers you read are crushed dreams from the struggle. Stand on the right side of history, stand in solidarity with Palestinians, and stand with the vast majority of constituents who want and need an immediate and permanent ceasefire. Thank you. Thank you. Our next speaker. 
Cam. You can help us with your name. Good evening, everyone. Good Thank evening. you, Ruth, for saying. Uh, my name is Cam Bowie. I'm a resident of Alameda for the last two years, but I've lived in the Bay Area. I grew up in San Jose, and I've worked in or lived in about a dozen cities here. And I really want to say that Alameda is special. The people here are kind, and they actively care for each other, and that is why I also believe that Alameda has some of the best safety ratings in the city. It's because of the people choosing not to invest in martial law and fund martial solutions. Uh, I'm here to urge the city council, as, not, as with many others, to draft and pass a resolution to condemn the genocide going on in Gaza, call for a ceasefire. Uh, second, to call, condemn any Californian funding that would go to an apartheid state that commits genocide. Our, our, our people need California funds to stay within California. Americans need California funding to stay within uh, America. And I urge the city council to join the rest of the Bay Area to call for the ceasefire. Richmond and Oakland have already passed a resolution. Sunnyvale City Council has uh, agreed to, inter to uh, express interest in working with the community to draft a resolution. You won't have to do this alone. Uh, Congresswoman Barbara Lee has already been calling for ceasefire in Congress, and youth all over high, all over the Bay in their high schools are walking out, are demanding this too. Please stand with us. Uh, our, you know, the Bay is so obligated to condemn this genocide. We have so many of the top defense contractors in the U.S. California money funds so much of the U.S. budget. Our obligation is to treat this urgently. Our obligation is to call for ceasefire and condemn any genocide right now, please. There are so, much, so many better uses of our state funds. California funds should stay within Thank California. Thank you, your time is up. Our next speaker. Ibrahim, Ibrahim Azam. Azam. Ibrahim. Welcome, speaker Ibrahim Azam. Come on up. Hello, good evening. Welcome. My name is Ibrahim. First of all, I want to thank you all for being here. I know it's very late, and we greatly appreciate your time and hearing us out. I'm here tonight to encourage you all to call for a permanent ceasefire in Palestine. The atrocities unfolding are truly heartbreaking. I'm not going to go over the numbers again, as you guys have already heard them tonight. But I will say, calling for a ceasefire would put an end to the continued murder of innocent civilians in Palestine that has been happening far before October 7th. And this would be beneficial not just to end those murders, but for the Palestinian and Israeli hostages to both safely return home. As such, the ceasefire is beneficial for, as I said, both Palestine and Israel. And anyone who is against the ceasefire is simply promoting a genocide under the facade of self-defense or defeating Hamas. If this was about defeating Hamas, we would not be seeing hospitals UN schools, churches, mosques, and even ambulances being bombed. If this was about Hamas, we would not see the West Bank, which is controlled by Israel and has no Hamas presence, having over 200 people killed, Palestinians being kidnapped and tortured, and this is being posted on TikTok as a, as a trend, um, and even the bombing of a refugee camp, all since October 7th. The $4 billion in US, the $4 billion in US taxpayer money 
that we spent that we sent to Israel could be spent much better here in the U.S. That money could be used for building bridges, funding education, improving healthcare. But at the very least, it should not be used to support an ethnic cleansing, an ethnic cleansing and an apartheid regime. The last thing I want to point out is that Israel is indeed an apartheid regime. There are literally different laws for Arab citizens, the few who are allowed to get citizenship. There are different laws for them in Israel, different roads they can travel on, and even different license plates that they have to have on their car to be identified as Arab and Palestinian. We cannot keep supporting the ethnic cleansing and the apartheid regime. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you. Your time is up. Our next speaker. That was our last speaker. All right. And with that, we will close public comment oral communication. And that was the last item we were going to continue. So this, I want to wish everyone a happy Thanksgiving. Thank you, all of you who stayed so late to, um, to be heard. And um, to all of the staff and council, thank you for all your hard work. Have a happy Thanksgiving under trying times, but there's always something to be thankful for and things to aspire to. And um, travel home safely. All right, thank you, everyone. This meeting is adjourned.